All right, listen up, y'all. I'm y'all substitute teacher, Mr. Garvey. I taught school for 20 years in the inner city, so don't even think about messing with me. Y'all feel me? Okay, mm-hmm. take a roll here. Jay Quellen. Where's Jay Quellen at? No Jay Quellen here? Yeah. Uh, do you mean Jacqueline? Okay. So that's how it's gonna be. Y'all wanna play. Okay, then. I've got my eye on you, Jay Quellen. Balake. Where is Balake at? No Balake here today. Yes, sir. My name's Blake. Are you out of your goddamn mind? Blake. What? Do you want to go to war, Balaki? No. Because we could go to war. No. I'm for real. I'm for real. So you better check yourself. D-nice. Is there a D-nice? If one of y'all says some silly-ass name, this whole class is going to feel my wrath. Now, D-nice. Do you mean Denise? Oh, no. Bitch! You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro-Nerd Radio. With your guides, D-Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Folks, we're black, back, live, and direct. This is the Midweek in Review edition of AfroNerd featuring Captain Kirk and sometimes the uncanny Darrow B. I saw a tweet that he submitted earlier today, and I think he may pop his head in to give us his impressions of, well, what we're going to discuss. Folks, the call-in number, you know the drill by now, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Always give you the best of urban alternative groove, black rock and roll, psychedelic soul, Afro-punk. From now, I guess going on two weeks, hard to believe. I'm already itching, <laughs> itching to go back to Afro-punk. I think at the, at the beginning, I lost my footing because 
you know, look, there are certain things that, that they're going to do. You know, we had the great Lena Dawes, soon to be Dr. Lena Dawes, when she finish, finishes getting her doctorate. And we had our complaints. But when you look back on it, it's still the best ticket in town when it comes down to herb alt black media, herb alt black music. So uh, I kind of miss it. And folks, definitely check out our YouTube presence. There is a montage video that's up. Now, matter of fact, I'll put it in the chat room. There's a montage video. You see something a bit artistic that we put together. The captain is up front first. You'll see him kind of channeling in excess, the rock group in excess. So check it out. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Help us grow. Also, if you can, contribute. Folks are contributing, but we we still need more assistance. Please contribute, if you can, what you can, to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Afro Nerd Radio. It will help us to expand so we can expound. And most certainly, when it comes down to interviews, New York Comic Con's coming up, getting equipment. We have better equipment, but we still need a few more things. Uh, having another spot off-site to do a full-fledged, so, full-fledged show that we could also incorporate on the YouTube channel. So th- there's a lot going on that we're just kind of brushing the surface with, and we need your assistance. Afronerd.com is up and running. There's a new article there. I'll put the link. I mean, look, folks were complaining, so we paid heed to your call. And we need you to reciprocate. Anyway, we're going to give you this groove, not so much of a new groove. This is from my favorite artist, but you folks know that, the late Prince Rogers Nelson, B-side single. Of, actually, I think, it was, I think it was a B-side single of another B-side single, originally performed by the Staples Singers. We know that Prince worked with the great Mavis Staples who is most certainly a contemporary of another late person. (laughs) They're dropping like flies, folks. Aretha Franklin. But in this case, this was a a family affair. Mavis Staples of the Staples Singers. They made a hit from When Will We Be Paid? So Prince did his version of it. And I dig it. This is Prince, When Will We Be Paid? About two minutes. Let's groove.
seem to turn out wrong. We've been beat up, cold names, shot down and stoned. Another iconic group or iconic act, the Staple Singers, when will we be paid? Which is a fair question, actually, in this economy. Anyway, uh, I had to let that ride, folks. I think the messaging in that cut is too integral. Anyway, we're integral as well. This is the Midweek in Review edition of Afternoon featuring Captain Kirk. He is the captain. He is necessary. He is also on the YouTube channel I just mentioned, check it out, subscribe. Captain, you're needed in the holodeck. Let's get to it. 
space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. to be about it. And I tell you, look, I I tell you, I I cringe when I hear some of the comments that come from some black folks when they discuss other black folks, phenotypes and all kinds of things. And I'm saying, do do we really have the luxury to discuss these things when the Klansmen have actually taken off their robes now? You know, they're not so secretive. Batman has taken off his mask and I'm just I, I hear you know I hear all kinds of outrageous things. It just like hairlines to skin lighteners to noses. Let me know. I do play the nose game myself. <laughs> Whatever. I got everybody on the nose though. I'm broad. My nose is broad, baby. I got more blackness than you, but broad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, on occasion, on on occasion, you know, again. Um, you, you're surprised at what people are looking at. Uh, it's yes. been quite a few, quite a few women who have looked at me. Quite a few women have looked at me and say, "You don't quite have a black nose. What's up with your nose? Why is your nose so thin?" <laughs> Seriously, I'm like, "There's nothing that's going to disqualify me for being a Negro. Nothing." And yet, you will find something. To, I don't know what that is. I don't know why that is. From the lightest to the darkest, I see you. You know we can see you, right? That's all. That's all I say when I when I respond to the to the shenanigans when black folks go through this this thing. I, say, I don't care if you if you suffer from albinism. I'm going to say, you know, we can see you, right? <laughs> all right, folks. <laughs> Again, six four six nine one five nine six two zero. That's the number. Definitely use it. Call in with your questions, your queries, your protestations, you know my shtick. Right as I'm going on air, Captain, let me throw this out here because this is kind of breaking news. And it's funny that I mentioned Afropunk. It's, it's kismet that I mentioned Afropunk. And I also mentioned the great Lena Dawes, who we interviewed a few shows ago. I think we're going, we're going to have to have her come in and, in and out inter- intermittently. She was a great guest. And uh, again, she is part of that urban alternative scene. So she sends me a DM and she says, yo, did you guys know about this? So this is breaking news. This is from uh, a gentleman's, I don't think it's, yeah, it's not from 
it's not formally from the Afropunk Facebook page, but it is from the Facebook page of a gentleman who was, and I say was as in past tense, was the editor-in-chief at Afropunk. Lou Constant Deport, Deport, I believe is the pronunciation. Uh, Lou Constant Deport. Um, he's resigning, and he has this really kind of rather long explanation. So I'm going to read this thing because I'm just curious. Like, why is this gentleman, why, why is he jumping ship? And again, this is from the great, this is courtesy, hat tip to Lena Dawes. Mr. Deport says, I have resigned from my position as editor-in-chief at Afropunk. Let me, let me start it off because I'm, I'm missing the period there. Okay. I have resigned from my position as editor-in-chief at Afropunk. While I'm proud of the work accomplished as the founding and only editor, editor-in-chief of the online publication, I have decided that enough is enough. As you can imagine, I wouldn't leave something that I, I poured so much time, energy, creativity into if I didn't strongly feel that it was the best solution. I usually remain discreet, but as the company is trying to make me sign a non-disclosure agreement in exchange for hush money, I'm speaking out publicly instead for once. It's almost hard to know where to start because the philosophy and actions of some of the people who run the company are so at odds with the values that they claim to stand for that it's puzzling to watch them and their corporate entourage continue to practice their performative activism dipped in consumerism and woke keywords used for marketing purposes. Many of the behaviors I will mention below continue to this day. No one is perfect, but I'm talking about patterns and systems here, not isolated incidents, not isolated incidents. I have experienced and witnessed so many lies, gaslighting, disrespect, victim blaming, exploitation, not to mention overworked, undervalued, and underpaid staff being kept in precarious situations that my only consolation producing editorial work that could somewhat be independent and serve the community. I also was in denial for a while about how violent what I and others had been through was. Besides, when the editorial content was too radical or unapologetic for their taste, yes, radical um, in parentheses, I'm sorry, radical in quotes, radical or unapologetic for their taste, we were asked to tone it down or independence was compromised. I resisted the best I could and repeatedly fought against, called out unethical behaviors and decisions internally when I saw them to the point where I was being considered inconvenient and negative by management. Meanwhile, they were using radical imagery, slogans, and intersectional mottos to market their events. Performative activism offered to sponsors as ways to promote their products. Elitism under the guise of black excellence. One of the owners doesn't even seem to have a real grasp of what intersectionality actually is, but sure knows how to put it on huge banners and market it to the masses. There are many people in New York and elsewhere with their own Afropunk horror stories, 
Some have tried to speak out. Some, and he says parenthetically, like me until now, stayed silent for what they believed was the greater good. Some had signed non-disclosure agreements like the one the company tried to make me sign when I said I was leaving. This has been on my mind for a very long time. For a while, I tried to convince myself that I could continue and do it for the community, maintain my integrity in this unhealthy environment, keep giving second chances to people who don't, seem to, don't even seem to understand how problematic their actions are, or be selfish and try to at least reap some of the benefits generated by my hard work. Staying silent, but staying silent is not doing anyone justice. Not to mention that it keeps me and others in harm's way. We deserve better. Uh, I'm going to skip around a little bit. Let's see. I am very grateful for all the inspiring creatives and activists that the editorial team supported. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, it's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate. But... I think we were hinting at this casual observers based on the conversation that we had uh, on, on a highly acclaimed show. The last couple of shows, we've gotten a lot of feedback when Ms. Dawes was on, I guess, talking, talking very direct about some of the things that we noticed that incrementally, having gone around seven or eight times, both of us have gone multiple times to this affair. And I, I felt a certain kind of way. You could, you could definitely see the change up, and I guess this is to be expected when you, when you seek corporate assistance. All, you know, I mean, this is just par for the course. I mean, I, I, was, thinking, I was just thinking about um, Issa Rae, and I was thinking, because looking at ads, I think this is what, season three or season four? I'm, I don't even know, because I'm, I'm not even into it. Of insecure, and I I, re- I remember being fairly supportive and interested in in Ms. Ray when she was on the internet because she was a self-described awkward black girl. That was her brand, and I automatically coded her maybe incorrectly, but I automatically coded her as a blurred slash Afro nerd. So I said, hey, this is a blurred being herself. And getting it in. But then she hooked into the Shondaverse, Shonda Rhimes universe. And then I started hearing, I heard about the HBO thing. I started hearing about compromises. I started hearing about they wanted someone that was lighter, complex, quote, racially racially ambiguous. I I don't even like the term racially ambiguous. I know it's out there. Maybe I'm sensitive to that. I'm, I'm on that, you know I can see you, right? That's me. But I'm using that term. And... I started seeing changes, and in, Insecure is not awkward black girl. So it seems like she had to make these compromises in order to, or to get put on. So uh, I, I, I would hope Afro Nerd, if, if we were to go bigger and better, doesn't mean does, it does. It should not mean that all of a sudden we have to start capitulating on nonsensical stuff. So anyway. It's unfortunate that this this person, and again, you know, this is one man's opinion. Um, I'm going to take it for what it's worth. We'll see how things progress. But I I saw a lot of the sloganeering. I'll say this. I think I might have said this behind the scenes uh, to the captain. 
that I, I even I felt that some of the overt sloganeering felt empty to me. I don't know. I just didn't believe it. I, I think I even spoke to the Oracle about this. And, and this goes back to, I will, conf- I will confess, this goes back to my high percentage of accuracy with my spidey sense. My spidey sense puts out the feelers. And I, and I said, I think I believe I said this to the captain. I, I thought that the, the sloganeering and stuff seemed to be, you know, something about it doesn't, something about it feels inauthentic. So I'm going to stick with Afropunk for as long as I can. I'm not the editor-in-chief. But at the same time, I, I feel a kind of way that you have an enterprise. You have something that's sorely needed. You're not quite there yet. You know, uh, hip-hop reigns supreme. So we need black folks to be in this space. I mean, this is kind of like the, this is what happened with, with the, uh, it, again, another intersectional, intersectional movement happened with Universal FanCon. You're trying to move onward and upward. And then all of a sudden, it crumbles before we even – you didn't quite build your house correctly. You didn't quite build the foundation. And just as in three-dimensional thinking, if you don't foundation correctly, it's going to fall down. Uh, Captain, any thoughts? I see that our friend from Chi-Town, he's ready to chomp at the pit. Um, you have any thoughts about what – and I just – this is just kind of new. I, this, is, this, was, this was something that Lena just – I just saw it within three minutes of the intro. I saw this. What are your thoughts about well, what's going on? How many times did I go to Afropunk after this? You went once. All right. There was a reason behind that. But I've been here before. I was at the early underpinnings of rap. And I love that, the early underpinnings. You know, I was immersed in that. <clears throat> shows, doing shows down with A&Rs when they really had A&Rs, things of that nature. <clears throat> when you had different labels and you also had different artists, it wasn't like three types of music, you know? But you have, right now, like you have, you may have some gangster stuff, you'll have what Drake does, and then you have the mumble stuff. We had different kind of music. You had Public Enemy. Public Enemy didn't sound like Rock Kim. Rakim didn't sound like LL Cool J. See the point I'm making? You know, LL Cool J didn't sound like Big Daddy Kane. Uh, Big Daddy Kane didn't sound like Rakim Shabbat. You see? And that's because you had different labels, different companies, independent companies all over the place. Once the money got in, because everybody wants to make money, you can't really knock them, you know, because at the end of the day, everybody wants to make money. Once the money comes in and the powers that be start to figure it out, things begin to change. wasn't good for me. And then I started to push myself away from it. I didn't, I didn't like that, you know, at all. So when I went to Afropunk, I said, okay, this is good now. Let's see what happens when the money gets infused, injected, decanted into this type of situation. Because Everybody wants to make money, and you have to understand the people at the top, where they're coming from. Now, of course, who knows? This might not necessarily be true. We got to do that history. We got to say that's true. Someone could have set it up and anything else, yada, yada, yada. That's always a possibility. But that's where I saw it going. And I said, it's cool for now, but 
probably another two years, it's going to be problematic. Now it's more than two years after. I think it's four years after this now. So I saw the vibe there. So this is just what happened. Things happen top down from the mentality from the owners, even though they might not necessarily be directly pushing it. You know, you have to, you have the tendency to take on the demeanor of the top rat. Hey, that's me. That's how I felt about it. I said, I'm here once. There's no need to go again. There's no need to go again. That's just how I felt about it. I wanted to support, but I was like, I got it. I know what it is. I know what it is. It's just like one person told me about the Comic-Con, you know. Now it's a big, you know, media event. <clears throat> he puts his stuff out there, but he doesn't attend. He says he's working. He said, I was doing Comic-Con in the 80s and things of that nature. He said, he was really enthusiastic because it was about the comics. Now this is all about big corporate entities. He also said he sells more comics to the smaller shows. I like the smaller shows. Small with everything when things are independent. But you can't knock it though at the same time, man, because everybody wants to make money and has to get some type of income. So it's one of those catch 22. It is what it is, man. All right? Back over to you, Afternoon. I know you're checking it out and looking into it a little more in depth as you, as I speak right now. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate, you know. But this is the this is part of the course. Anytime you see corporate dollars, but uh, you know, again, I if I I wouldn't have said anything if I didn't feel like, you know, we go through this all the time, Captain, where we make these predictions and people get at us on Twitter. This is like a repeated thing. I mean, you even you have to admit this. We constantly we constantly have to check people to say, no, this is this, it's going to go in this direction. Just watch. This it's almost it's very yep. frustrating. It's a frustrating thing, you know. And that's that's I don't consider myself like some kind of wonder I'm not. I, I don't uh, consider myself to be some kind of. Uh, I'm not the oracle. <laughs> you know, the oracle is the oracle. You know, whether it's Barbara Gordon uh, or uh, my father, but. Um, you know, there's a certain, I, just, I just had a certain vibe, and the vibe is it's gotten worse for me each year. I feel a certain kind of way walking around Commodore Barry Park. And this year, like last year, I didn't see – I saw my fair share of sloganeering. Then I saw non-binary bathrooms. Like I saw uh, an actual um, placement card or, you know, an actual um, – you know, they, they were labeled. It was, it was a big labeling. That said non-binary bathrooms And I think okay come on First of all non-binary bathrooms That, that, we, that was going on in, in the New York club scene In the, in the 70s That's true People, That's people true. I mean it's not, you know Like I, I remember when I started I mean I wasn't going to clubs But you know, I was a kid But I'm talking about uh, Even when I started going I'm to clubs mm-hmm. Yeah the limelight was was known for that. Um, uh, what is the club that Ving Rhames used to bounce at? Uh, forget that one. <laughs> I know. Was it? Ah, oh, it had come to me. I think it was the 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 ah man. I have to look it up. But there were most of these most of these um, avant garde clubs, especially when they were trying to be you know really radical. They had those. They had that kind of stuff all the time. 
You expect that in the club. They didn't label it. But now, I mean, now you're going to label something that, 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 that wasn't even, that wasn't radical 30 years ago? I mean, come on. Then, then you're being pretentious. Look, look at us. Look, look, non-binary. I mean, come on. Anyway, I, I wish Afropunk the best. Um, I'm going to try to make it again next year. I, I feel kind of a, a certain way when I go there. But the Pusha T thing, really, and this is from someone who actually kind of sort of was entertained with the Pusha T and, and, and uh, Drake situation. I was mildly entertained. Now, was it LL versus Kumo D? No. <laughs> okay? No, it wasn't that. It wasn't even LL versus Cannabis. But, you know, hey, for, for the time period that we're in, I was mildly entertained. And uh, Pusha T, although I was never a Clips fan, I was familiar with some of his work. I was familiar that he was at, he was at that point. He was at the, the last, last uh, rap. He's part of a last rap act, last rap uh, lyrical tradition. And I knew, okay, this guy got it. This guy's around 40. <laughs> All this time. You know, it's very easy to get to be 40. So I said, oh, this guy's right. He's the last of a lyrical situ- lyrical. So I knew he was going to get at Drake. That was, you know, it was entertaining. But I, I didn't. But look, I didn't want him at Afropunk. But that's that commercial ish. That's that commercial ish. And and they're going to keep on. They're going to keep on uh, approaching the devil. And they're going to end up getting burned. Because right now, when I go, when you go down to that particular area. It's, I hate to use the term, but it's a safe space, you know, for, for, for the kind of stereotyping that goes on with people of color. And this is a multiracial affair, but it is predominantly black. It's predominantly black and weird, which is good, okay? But when you start to inject, when you start to put, bring in the push of teas, look, uh, uh, Ice T, who was there, who was there, there, uh, what, a year ago? Or two, two, Two years ago or a year ago, I was uncomfortable when Ice T was there. Ice T just had they just had a gun a gun exchange at a Ice Cube contest on an Ice Cube concert on the West Coast. What a few days ago, last week, he was mad that he couldn't get into the venue, so cops had to put some hot lead in this gentleman. I think he's he's he survived. Now, this is where the, the, the classic hip-hop artists and the new nogs, the mumbles, this is where they intersect. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, I want to bring certain... The hood with the money may come up in there in about two years. Yeah. Just to see what's going on. Not the broke hoodlum. The hood with a little bit of money. That's it. Well, they, 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 <laughs> they, you know, when you get caught up in that money, instead of kind of going in a certain direction uh accepting who you are you know what i mean like this is probably what this editor editorial cat this editor part of me this this former editor is talking about if you accept what you are and run with that brand and honor the brand you'll do fine why my voice cracking i'm 13 you'll do fine right but it 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 looks like they have a they're, they're in that money game they're in that money zone and they're they're going to, okay, let me, let's test this. You know what I mean? They, they want that, you know, it, 
having making a decent living. I, I, look, Afropunk's been going around has been chugging along rather nicely globally for more than a decade, a decade and a half, just about satisfactory enough for them. So they got they they they, they got the ice cube thing. They brought the Pusha T thing, and next year they're going to bring somebody else that's left of center. And probably if I hear somebody wacky, like, you know, Nicki Minaj or Cardi B, I'm not going. That, that will be like, I'm done. That you know for sure. Someone who, someone who, is, who is a nog to their DNA, DNA strand, I'm not coming. I'm done. So they push a T. His name says it all. That you almost pushed me out of the venue. You go full. You go full knock. Now look, I I will be hypocritical. Didn't say I didn't buy Death Certificate or America's Most Wanted. Okay. Uh, what what was the name of that album? Was it America's Most Wanted? What was the name of that album? Yeah. Yeah. The Bomb Squad production, Long Island, Long Island Spinal produced that. Ice Cube's first record. So uh, I, I wasn't the end. The they love to hate. <laughs> they had a, had a uh, it had a uh, Steve Arrington. It was a Steve Arrington cut. Anyway, um, the lyrical listen. He, he's a lyrical beast, but I'm like, okay, this guy's fifty now, and I'm not an ageist, but you're still catching bullets at your venues. You can't even age out of that. I was disappointed to hear about that. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. And he just couldn't get in. They told him they told him that the that the venue was the that the event was sold out and he pu- he wanted to pull out some lead anyway. I can't handle that. They're not doing that at uh, jazz concerts. Anyway. Or classical music in deference to uh, the great Sergio Mims. They're not doing that there. <laughs> you know. All right. Uh, we're going to bring Sergio in in, in a moment. Uh, let, let's let's, let's uh, get into this Colin Kaepernick deal. If you've been living under a rock, uh, activist and athlete, Colin Kaepernick appears to be playing the long game. And that's where that cogitation comes in. It just is. <laughs> it, you see, it, this is why I, I, I say what I say, and I have a certain kind of, I hate to use this word, swagger when I speak, because I, really I really do believe, even if I don't even agree with what you say, even if I, even if I don't agree with your politics, I always got to respect your scholarship. And I do believe that when you raise the frequency for people, and this is what I said, said this on the last show, Captain, I want the frequency of black folks to be raised aggregate level. If we can, if we can kind of get the masses, let's, let's just move the needle a little bit. You'd be surprised what we could accomplish just a little bit. So the fact that he is, he put, he put out this suit, there's a suit that's pending against the NFL that, that may be difficult to prove, may be difficult to prove, but uh, if he's able to prove collusion, that, that's a long game play. Also, the fact that he was able to garner a sponsorship deal as someone who is uh, persona non grata with the NFL. That I find to be masterful 
And again, it goes to uh, the gentleman's thinking ability. And even when I really wasn't on the on, on the on the gravy train or on the bandwagon, so to speak, when it came down to what the kneeling was about. Now I'm in full support, and I have been for a minute. But when it first happened, I wasn't sure about it. I wasn't sure about it. But I was impressed that when it came to approaching the mic, he could speak. So you had me. You already had me 50% of the way because you are articulate. That goes to that respectability politics thing. Long hair and all. If you if you can speak, it look hell. It even goes to to Prince in some way. Prince was a a uh, was an eccentric fellow, right? But it, and you know very provocative. And some people may think I'm gonna be I'm gonna say something hypocritical. You can get away with a lot when you're really talented. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. You can say a lot. Uh, Howard Stern, his valuation is damn near a billion dollars. His valuation, not not that he personally is worth a billion, but his 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 product is worth damn near a billion dollars. He is very good, even though people could say he's vulgar and all that stuff. Try to do what Stern did, and are still trying to do it. They just quite can't get there yet. He's a master of that. If you you could be as nasty as you want to be on some level, if you're really talented, Richard Pryor was like that. Now some folks aren't going to get the nuance of what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can you can be you know you can be a complete a hole, but in the case of Kaepernick, Kaepernick even if you don't agree with the guy, you must admit he is very articulate, very engaging fellow. He wasn't some monosyllabic dude that could you know, a bunch of blurs and slurs and mumbles. Well, you, you know, it, it's a type of respectability politics. It's a type of respectability politics that many nogs refuse to, contingent refuses to adhere to respectability politics. And it goes back to the great El Haj Malik, El Shabazz, Malcolm X. It goes to him. That this guy looked like a, at the time for the 60s, for 1960s dress, he was, you know, very sharp looking and very stern, very well spoken. And he did, and he was bringing it to white folks, bringing it. You can't call him, you can't call him Mr. Respectability Politics, even though he practiced it, as did Dr. King on the other side of the spectrum somewhat. So let, let me pay, uh, play this clip. Let's wax and unpack. We're going to go around a horn. I'm going to bring in Sergio Mims from Chi-Town, Chi-Town's finest. And uh, if I can find the clip now, what's going on? Here we go. Okay, hold on. Cap, uh, give, give your impressions while I'm looking for this thing, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure it downloaded successfully. I just can't seem to find it. What do you think if you want to if you want to speak on? Um, well, you know, Colin went to the University of Nevada. You know, they got some good courses over there. So obviously, that's a representation on them. They're talking about boys and speaking. So there's a lot of college players that come out of college that do graduate, that definitely do graduate, and they like Massa. <laughs> I got it actually. <laughs> you know, so okay, you got it. Good. 
I got right. it. All right. We got we have two clips here. Um, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play the short one. I was, I, the other one is probably more defined. But let, let me play the short one. Hold on. Time constraints. Nike is defending its controversial new ad campaign after backlash from President Trump and other critics. In an interview, the president said Nike is sending a terrible message. He says by partnering with unsigned NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick. But he added their freedom to do so is what this country is all about. Kaepernick triggered the NFL player protest against social injustice back in 2016 by kneeling during the national anthem. CBS This Morning Saturday co-host, that's Dana Jacobson, joins us at the table. She's been following the Nike controversy from the beginning. Dana, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, this is not going away, and the season hasn't even started yet. Uh, an NFL executive, at least one, has expressed support for Kaepernick, saying in part the social justice issues that Colin and other professional athletes have raised deserve our attention and action. But Nike's decision is also fanning the flames on social media. Nike's controversial endorsement of Colin Kaepernick is reigniting the debate over NFL players taking a knee during the national anthem. Some critics are destroying their Nike-branded gear. Others are praising the iconic company, Super Bowl champion Chris Long. Kids looking at that and saying, if I take a risk like Colin and, and speak my mind and tell the truth, am I going to be kind of shut out from the mainstream? And Nike's doing a good job of reinforcing that that's not true. Kaepernick is one of at least five other athletes, including New York Giants receiver Odell Beckham Jr. and tennis star Serena Williams, who are featured in the 30th anniversary of Nike's Just Do It campaign. Williams praised Kaepernick after her U.S. Open match last night. He's done a lot for you know, the African-American community, and it's cost him a lot. A Nike spokesperson tells CBS This Morning the athletes featured in their new campaign all share the quality of being among the most inspirational athletes of their generation who have leveraged the power of sport to help move the world forward. It is a pretty big uh, risk on their part. E.J. Schultz covers sports marketing for AdAge. He says although companies like Starbucks and Pepsi have been criticized for botched ads surrounding social issues, Nike's new campaign may be different. I think they've calculated that some of the key consumers that they're trying to win over, younger people that buy a lot of Nike gear, are siding with Colin Kaepernick. Nike lost about $3.75 billion in market cap at the end of trading on Tuesday. Important to point out, some analysts also attributed that to negotiations over NAFTA. Despite the loss, one estimate reportedly says Nike has earned at least $43 million worth of media exposure following the Kaepernick ad. You can't pay for that. No, yeah, an important point about too. courting younger, yes. younger people are out there looking towards that. It's market. like they know their audience. Exactly. Know their audience. Yeah. Same Calculated risk. Yeah. Calculated risk. Thank you, Dana. Um, so, Cap, I interrupted yeah, say you. One so real you... quick thing. Yeah, sure, definitely. One real quick thing. Adidas and Puma also lost pretty much a lot of money also due to that NAFTA. Let's, let's get it right. Let's, let's get it right. <laughs> let's get it all that right. So people understand. Because a lot of people on social media, you're idiots. You buy your Nike products. And because of this situation, some of you, you know, they could be amping it up, too. The media likes to do that. They get about 15 guys, and they try to make 15 guys seem like 15,000, you know, on social media. They're real good at doing that. But those idiotic imbeciles, you know, look at that. That's what I just like, idiotic imbeciles. Look at that. Anyway, those are positive. <laughs> it's too negative. That means they're positive. 
So anyway, <clears throat> those idiotic imbeciles <laughs> in a ripping up thing. You bought the product already. You bought the product already. So if I spend something and it's still relatively new, I'm not going to go ahead and say, oh, well, it's a problem. You know, a lot of you are still buying Nike, right? You buy Jordans. How much does it cost to make a pair of Jordans? Is there child labor involved? A lot of you don't care. Child labor doesn't touch you. But this right here, you feel it touches you as you go to work, as you eat your breakfast, your lunch, and things of that nature. At least according to what the media said. You know, that's what the media is telling us. Now, he went to the University of uh, Nevada, they said, and he had an opportunity to, now this, this lends credence to what Apple is saying. Maybe he just knew. A uh, baseball team wanted him to come out a little early, and he said, because he could play baseball very well, apparently. He said, nah, I ain't doing that. I'm finishing my school. And then he got the chance in the NFL, and he went from there. You know, so some people might have just said, oh, I'm going, I'm going to do that. You know, I could always go finish school or what have you. He said, nah. I'm not doing that. At least that's how they're painting it for this information, is, uh, you know, his media campaign. He's that type of guy. You know, when he believes in something, he just goes with it and he sticks with it pretty much. But here's the other thing. When he first started playing for the San Francisco 49ers, he looked very immature. He did a lot of stupid little things. Nothing crazy, but he didn't seem like he had the maturity as far as the quarterback is concerned. He needed to grow up some. I would say he's definitely grown up now, you know, and the man can play the position. Is he Tom Brady? No, he's not Tom Brady, but he, he could definitely play the game. And he's better than a lot of people that you see getting starting jobs. And he's exciting because he can run also. So it's going to put people in the stands and people will watch. They'll like to see, you know. Just totally a world say. Now, as far as Nike is concerned, I, I think this was just brilliant. You know, I think it was just brilliant, man. You know, they pull the chess move. Most of life, in my opinion, is checkers. But from time to time, it's going to be chess. From time to time, it will be chess. You know, and I think this was a chess move by Nike that is going to pay off. Because I plan to go, uh, you know, a little sweatshop and within the next few weeks with some sneakers, pick up some sneakers. Who do you think I'm going to buy that? They got me. <laughs> so maybe there's a few people that... I feel the same way, you know. I feel the same. Rather interesting. Rather interesting in this climate. Everything is great. Everything is great. You know, that's all the thing. Oh, disrespect and everything. Let's ask. Let's ask ourselves another question. If he would have been, you know, a white guy, some of you black people, you wasn't black enough until this went down. But anyway, that's just by the by. If he would have been a white guy. I would have pulled something similar along with it. Some of you might say he couldn't because there's nothing happening to white guys. But let's just say, you know, it would have been about veterans or something like that. You know, he had a family member that wasn't treated right by the U.S. government, white guy, that sort of thing, and did this. How do you think this would be playing out in America right now? Would it, would it get this type of media attention? Media attention? Would it? Food for thought. Also, Tom Brady mentioned a little something about it, you know, saying he had a lot of respect for Colin Kaepernick and things of that nature. 
and he liked liked the commercial. You know, let's see how that fits with some of the Trump supporters that Tom Brady actually liked the commercial. <laughs> Back over to you, Alfred. Let's bring in Serge. Um, and then I'm going to say a couple of things. I, I might be repeating myself, but there's there's some things that I've been noticing about the the well, look, the hypocrisy is very clear. How how this goes? I, I've I've always uh, well, look when when this as I said when this thing first popped off, I was unsure as to my, as to my um, feelings about it. I was maybe a little bit indifferent. But I was I was impressed with Kaepernick, so I leaned a little bit more toward his point of view, essentially because he was a, a, a person of African descent that was articulate playing a sport. I'm used to seeing so many that they prop up that aren't that impressive. They they couldn't at least put two uh, a subject and a predicate together to, so I can understand what you're saying. You know they're going to call that respectability politics, but your presentation and how effective you are as a, as a spokesperson means a lot. Whatever your argument may be, it means a lot to me. So, uh, but then I started realizing that this really is a referendum on black patriotism versus white patriotism. That's the elephant in the room, and no one is clearly putting it out there that way, that the black American experience is radically different than the white American experience, and yet many, quote-unquote, white, jingo, jingoistic Americans, are, to me, it comes off as if you just want to bring black culture to heal. We want to put some relaxer on those tresses. <laughs> we want to tame you. That's kind of how this is, this is coming off, and I'm going to break it down a little deeper than this. Because the irony and the disrespect is deafening. And I, I just wish that I, I could see more people in the media actually come for these people and articulate it a little bit better. There's still some things that I see and that I hear that just aren't being said. I, I, would, want to, I would want to be more confrontational with these patriots and ask them some questions, and I would, want, I would demand an answer. I would, you know, I would, the, the, the uh, what's her name? The Tammy Lawrence, those, those people. Um, I mean, not that she's a, she's not really a, an intellectual uh, heavyweight by any sort, but they need to a- answer some questions relating to black patriotism versus white patriotism. Sergio. Sergio Mims, Shy Town, formerly of Shadow and Act. What's up? Search. No, uh, you you pretty much hit the point. Um, I just tweeted you an article from the Washington Post, and which just said Nike is not woke. Nike is just trying to sell shoes. Um, we have to put this. In, we have to keep this in perspective. I know. I've been seeing posts on Facebook. People, black people, getting very excited that Kaepernick is on this. Um, marketing campaign and i said well you know don't forget you know the as the article said these shoes are made of fabric um it's not a life or death thing and also as the captain pointed out these shoes are still being made by 
uh, workers in third world countries who are underpaid, um, getting cent, a couple cents for the dollar. <clears throat> um, is Kaepernick going to speak out on that? Um, is Nike going to change his policy on that on how their shoes are made? So yeah, let's keep this in perspective. This is not this is not the revolution. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right, uh, but maybe maybe we have to be more focused on black folks. I hear what you're saying, but that you're kind of going into an intersectional argument. Uh, yeah, we we could we could be you know I don't know if that's being inconsistent, but I'm I, I'm kind of having my fill of intersectionality because. We, we we are always promoting other folks, and yet it's not necessarily reciprocated. And also, we don't have the foundation. We don't really have the black foundation down correct uh-huh. or solidly to be able to speak for everybody else. I mean, I, I, I feel – I mean, I'm a human being. So I feel – and look, we – who better than black people to understand uh, labor, you know, a, a labor that's not really reciprocated? But, you know, look, we were, we were working for free. So even we had it worse than even someone in China that is getting a couple of cents on a dollar. But I, mm-hmm. I feel you. I feel them. I feel for them. So I, I don't want to be inhumane. But at this point, in this climate, I'm not even looking at that direction. Let's 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 hope, let's allow this brother. And I I hate to be tribal, but I'm going to be tribal this time. Let's allow this brother to make some kind of money, considering that he's out of work. You know he's not a, he's not he's, you know he's not a pauper by any stretch of the imagination, but he's done so much sacrificial stuff that you know any way that people can see fit and the messaging is still kind of going forward. You got to take the win as a win. Well, you know I also have another problem. Well, maybe I shouldn't bring this up. Maybe I should. But um, first of all, I'll be honest with you. I had never heard of this guy before he started. On his protest, I'm, I'm not a mm-hmm. you know. You're not, well, look, you're not a sports guy. You're not a sports guy. Right, I'm not. So he played in the, the thing he played, about in a, it, he played. He played in the Super Bowl, going back. So he, he's a, he's a man okay. of talent. That's what though. He is talented. Okay, but something, but something always stuck me as a little odd about this. Now I'm not. Believe me, I am not putting him down. I am not attacking him for his beliefs which are right and justice, I'm not doing that. But something came off to me like they latched on to him as he's this perfect perfect spokesperson because not only as you mentioned, he's well-spoken, but also he's a pretty good-looking guy. And number two, he's light-skinned. Okay. And I said, well, you know, they put like he was the perfect package. And, of course, he's got a huge afro. You know, and he's like the perfect package. And I said, suppose it was a brother who was darker skin, who maybe, in some people's eyes, wasn't as good looking, who could speak, but maybe wasn't as, I'm going to say that deadly word, articulate as Colin Kaepernick. Would he have gotten the same play? Well, look, Sergio, look, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm the last guy to go into this kind of um, black, who's blacker than thou. We, we saw... Well, Malcolm I guess Mack. I'm the first who does. <laughs> well, look, because, at the, because at the end of the day, yeah, Malcolm X, along with my, along with my parents, short up my, my viewpoint on blackness. And Malcolm X famously was Detroit red. Freckles and red hair. 
So I don't really go into that. I go by and in, go into and, and Adam Clayton Powell Jr. was also a hero of mine, and he was fair skinned with straight with straight wavy hair. So oh yeah, uh, yeah right. and 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 in and my and I must remind you that in the in the nineteen in the two thousand you know in two thousand eighteen I see and I'm not I don't even really like to uh, I don't really acknowledge uh, skin tone too much, but since people are pushing me in that direction. I'm looking at darker, darker Negroes on shows like The Prancing Elites. So, you know, pick your poison. No, oh, oh, well, well, look, I'm seeing uh, uh, <laughs> we, uh, oh. Captain, Kirk's, Captain Kirk's predecessor, um, Mr. Starks, is, is lighter complected. And uh, many of his family members are also. And they are the blackest people. One of the one of the blackest families I know. Um, and he will tell you we came to this we came to this conclusion that many of the quote unquote biracial, lighter skinned black folks are a, little, are a little blacker and a little rougher than some of the more phenotypically quote unquote uh, Africanoid black people who are you know ty- the Tyler Perry's wearing dresses, prancing elites, and monosyllabic. So pick your poison. I'll, I'll take a I'll take a, a Malcolm X over a Kevin Hart any day. Some some di, di, some diminutive uh, Gary Coleman uh, send up Negro who's non threatening. What do you want? What do you want? That's what's out here. That's what's out here. Jesse Williams, you know the, the sisters were, were duplicitous with him because they liked his look. But, I, but yeah, huh? he and I don't and again. I don't even really agree with Jesse Williams' politics, but he's articulate, and he is affirming his blackness when he did when he could have went a different direction. Except Fitz I mean, just it, dropped it, in with a quickness after his whole private life well, came out. Well, they're being well, they're being phony then. Well, I don't I don't pay attention to them because that's not what it's about. Either 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 you are about the message, you should stay out of the man's bedroom first of all. <laughs> because cause the same thing with what, Harry Belafonte is another man who's 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 a, who's a light brown or brown skin com, brown complexion light brown collect, uh, complexion, and he was quote, quote unquote photogenic in his day also, but he was he was bringing it to white folks. Your darker skinned black folks are putting on you know putting putting uh, getting getting their getting their eyebrows trimmed. I mean, what what do you want? I'm being honest with you. I'm just no you're no things. no. No, and no, I, no, I, no, and like I said, this was, I mean, this was not, no, like I said before, this was not a criticism of Kaepernick, this was not a criticism, you know, I was just saying that in a way he fit the perfect package. Well, look, that's what, that's what respectability, politi- respectability politics is. I don't, I don't really want to, I don't really want to see someone who can't speak and isn't clean and his parents, who doesn't, I mean, I just don't want to see that kind of Negro. But do you want to see? Would you would prefer to see, uh, you know, Little Wayne? You see, look, look how if you, you you're making me do like the balancing act. I'm coming up. I'm thinking because I don't like to think hard about complexion. But now that I have to, you're putting me in that space. I have a whole litany of darker skinned black folks that, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter. I don't know what that is. What's that? A boogity boogity yeah, boogity. Uh. <laughs> a boogity boogity boogity. That's what you're getting. Yeah. Yo, um, no, 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 Sean King. Sean King. Sean King. Sean King. What's yeah, going okay, on? Yeah. You, you see, 
You see, even Rachel Dolezal, I was ready to, I was ready to invite into the club. <laughs> my litmus test, my, I'm being complete. I'm being completely honest with you, because I did, I did not find her attractive as a white woman, but as a, as a, as a light skinned black woman, I find her attractive. And I actually saw a picture of her feet, and I was like, hmm, my sister. That's me. That's me. Now uh, all the other Negroes are ready. All all the other Negroes prefer to get. They want to see your twenty three and me, uh, twenty three results. Twenty three and me results. I'm not that Negro. If you are really, if you're willing to take the, if you're willing to take the heat, if you tell me, see, I, I was always ready. I'm being, I'm being dead honest. I'm, I never lie on this mic. Uh, I look. I went to a predominantly black college, HBC, HBCU. Um, Bison can probably speak about this as well. Anyone, or even, or even uh, Black Ronin, anyone, or any anyone who's listening to this show who's familiar with the HBCU. That's one of the 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 the, the, the most memorable things about going to an HBCU, and one of the most proudest things I remember about the HBCU. Not that I needed it, so I went to a predominantly white high school, and the oracle has said, "Well, you're comfortable in your blackness." We we always you know we always felt a certain kind of way, but he said, uh, you you know you don't have you don't have an identity situation you know you're comfortable with yourself you could go to a predominantly uh, white college or you could go to a predominantly black school and then go for a graduate degree somewhere else which is exactly what I did so um, I didn't have to go for any kind of like getting in touch with myself. I guess I wanted to change because I went to a predominantly white high school. So when I set foot on Hampton's campus, I was just impressed with the varied looks of black people. Like I saw Vanessa Williams's all the way, all the way down to Naomi Campbell's, like walking around. And I was like, wow, this is great. <laughs> like I just, I was just impressed. Like the, the, the I remember being in the backseat of my father's, of my parents' car, being, being driven to the campus. And the first thing I did, <laughs> I'm looking around, I said, holy crap. I said, man, there's some fine women. I just, as, soon as, I, as soon as I hit the campus and my father said, the oracle said, calm down. I'm not, I'm not spending money for you to mess up down here. You need to keep focused on your studies. I, but, but I mean, that's, I mean, within seconds of hitting that campus in the car, I was impressed. I was just like flabbergasted. So I, I, I was always appreciative that that the that the African American experience is is one of a myriad of different looks that we all don't look the same and can be very black. You can be you could be Malcolm X looking on one end of the section, or you could be Clarence Thomas married to a white woman who's a leader of the uh of the Tea Party movement. You know, Barack Obama marries a very well, very well healed black woman from Chicago whose whose mother was a Midwestern white woman living in Hawaii and you have this this very southern, very traditional black Republican who's married to a white Tea Party person. And yet we still quibble over who we think is black. It's, it's, we're all mixed up <laughs> in DNA and in politics. That is the that is the that is the interesting story of blackness that no one really wants to get into. That that I find fascinating. 
that black being black to me is, is literally a living video game. Cause I put, I have these kind of thoughts in my head about that's That's what the black experience is. It's a multifaceted one. So I don't really get that deep with, with someone being light or dark. I don't do that. So Rachel no, Dolezal, okay. Rachel Dolezal, if she, if she didn't say, because, uh, what's his name? Uh, Johnny Otis, Johnny Otis gets respected as a black person, even though he is Greek. The, you know, Shuggy Otis's father, Shuggy Otis, the, the well-known, both are musicians. Shuggy Otis is black, although he's, you know, biracial, but he's black. And his father is black, even though he is white. Because he just said, I don't want to be, I just don't want to be, I don't want to be white. It's not my thing. I'm, culturally, I'm black. So when he was asked about being, you know, what, are, what, are you black? And he said, he gave this really convoluted answer. He, he gave the answer that Rachel Dolezal should have given if she wanted to be black. He said, he said on a DNA level, my people are Greek. But uh, spiritually, socially, intellectually, and culturally, I'm a black man. Now, that, now that's, that, that's the fly answer. And he was very well accepted as a black person, even though we knew Technically, he was white, but he was too. He was too. Blackie does not. We don't want to be honest that we have we have done this before. Rachel Dolezal, these mill, these these millennials, they they went somewhere else with this woman. They took they did they didn't really know how to approach Rachel Dolezal. Rachel Dolezal, in some respects, did the work of a uh, of a woke black person that a DNA black person hasn't done. And, and, and you're well, not, no, you know well, what I mean? Well, no, the thing about Rachel the thing about Rachel Dolezal is I, I've always believed that the reason why so many people got mad at her was because in a lot of people's mind, the worst thing you can be is a black person. So if you have a white person who says, no, really, I, I'm black, you know, they get they freak out because in their minds, why would anybody want to be that? Yeah, that's that's what it is. I didn't like that. I didn't like that's what they were saying. Because I it didn't bother me at all. I kept I kept telling people I was like, she doesn't bother me. She wants to say she's black. Let her be black. Okay, fine. What's the problem? Sergio, she was tanned and she had nice feet. She was in for me. She was in. <laughs> Look, I know, I know, I know how this blackness thing works. I know how it works. See, see, these, these again. I hate to be taking dumps from millennials, but they just got here, so they don't, they don't know how to, they don't know how, they don't know how this works. I have seen black men. I'm using the Oracle's terminology. Put something on a woman. Okay, I'm, I'm going into deep black cultural mode. Putting, putting it on her. Okay, I've seen white women. Who, have, who you could tell that I ain't talking about wiggers, even though even though that's a that's a separate, almost a separate but similar situation. I've seen white people who have been enculturated black, where where uh, Q Storm wants to get into this now. Where, where Q Storm now now Q Storm pulled this. With, with, Q Storm pulled this. You ain't gonna like it. Q Storm pulled this Plantation Olympics when he saw the captain, who I didn't even know was a light skinned black person. I, he told me he was like that. I never knew. I know. I know Captain for years now. I didn't know. I, I didn't know that. I didn't have the information. I, I, seriously, I was like, 
I've, I, I've encountered this before. People have. I look at. I look at everybody as Wesley Snipes, even Vanessa Williams. That's how my. That's how my mind works. I'm gonna be honest with you. I look oh, at everybody as Wesley Snipes. If I, I can, I you know, we know we can see you. If I see your edges and a wide nose or some lips and or, or your, if I see you, I'm gonna assume you're a black person. I think. I think Bork, the former judge, the guy that the, the what's his name? You remember Bork? Who they who they try to be, who they try to who they try oh, yeah, to yeah right and everybody was just, everybody says wait a minute Boy, yeah yes see what I mean Bork Bork is a black guy in hiding okay I thought that I thought that Carol Channing was always black and guess what she came out I looked at mm, you look a little suspect we might hear we might hear from Mick Jagger we might. Well, you know, there's always and, been and, rumors and, about cele- there's always been rumors about particular celebrities and, and, and with it. But I always there's some that I absolutely, you know, I'm talking about old movie stars. Then I'm absolutely guaranteed we're passing. Guess what? Because you look Carly at the wait a minute. Carly Simon is black. Carly, I yeah, look at yeah, her. Okay. But she is. You know that, right? You guys Carly, are in storm alone now. No, hold on. Car, you know Carly Simon, the famous songwriter. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. She's black. She talks about it every once in a while. She'll go into it a little bit. I looked at her. I said, you know, I can see you. I see you. I know something's up. So anyway, let me say this quick. So with, with this whole thing about who was black, blackness is so much about culture as well as color. It, the, the 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 millennial nods who, who who don't have critical thinking skills they think this black thing works one way right so Rachel Dolezal brother put it on her some brothers put it on her and she just kind of adopted a black person I just kind of see it I can see it and I seen uh, when I seen Harry Belafonte with his wife his wife have you seen Harry Belafonte's wife I mean, of Harry course Belafonte. I have. She looks like a black woman. She uh, looks like no, a black she's woman. Jewish. Well, okay. We're, okay, so we're playing straws now. Jew froze and all that stuff. No, but, but, I, but here's I the thing. I no, no, here's the thing. In, what was the movie she, he made with. In Buck and the Preacher, she plays a Native American. Okay, oh, I remember that. Okay, all right. And okay, she's yeah, totally I convincing. I, I thought she was Native American in real life. I say I go like, oh, so Harry Belafonte married this, you know, this this um, Native American woman, you know? I will she's Jewish. Sergio, you know what? I'm not even sure what she is. Sergio, I will confess, I have been in the company of white women who have been so blackened that I'm so comfortable with them. I said, mm, you might be able to get some cocoa butter, and I'm going to feel comfortable with you. I said that in my head. I did the calculation. I did the calculation. I said, you know what? You're tanned. I saw your feet. You speak the way I like to speak. We're gonna be we're gonna be very good friends. Now I can't give that kind of credentials to all white women, but some of them are so blackened. I'm gonna. I, I, they're in. They're in. They are in. Oh no! Richard no! Dolezal, no! Richard, no! Richard Dolezal, hold on. Richard Dolezal has spoken like, uh, like uh, um, Mr. Otis. She would have been in. She didn't. She didn't say it the right way. She messed up. Well. You- well, D-Bird, you know, and you may not know this, there is a particular um, adult film series called Blackened. No, it's Black. Uh, 
blackened. Oh, blackened. you know blacks. That's it, black. I, so, from right. what I hear. From what I hear. Right. From what I hear, too. It's called black. From what I hear. Right? Why, well, and, why is that? You know, these women, you know, these women you're talking about, I think that they have had an experience that um, they haven't been able to go back. Yeah, okay, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to this. We made a real turn. Let me bring you Q-Storm. Q-Storm, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Perfect timing. Um, so I got to deconstruct you a little bit. Not saying I disagree with you wholeheartedly, but I got to deconstruct you, you about. Go ahead. First, first <laughs> off, let me clear up this thing, because you're not going to let me live this down. Listen, and Cap, hopefully Cap will vouch for me. I first saw Cap in this quick little promo for a horror film where he played it was two white folks in a tunnel somewhere, as they do, uh, in the dark, <laughs> looking for a demon or something. And it, they had a shot of this dark-skinned dude with red eyes, glowing red eyes. And uh, that was Cap playing that part. So when I saw Cap, I was like, oh, that's not Cap. Where's Cap at? <laughs> so I thought the brother, you know, lighting, lighting is a beast, man. <laughs> you know, I thought, <laughs> all, right. all about the lighting. Come on now. <laughs> All right. So, all, uh, in regards to Rachel, in regards to Rachel Dolezal, now see, yeah. you're saying that it's cool that she's heading up. You know, she was what was it, California uh, chapter no, of the uh, NAACP? Washington. Washington. Washington, right? White woman doing that, but see, how do you reconcile that with your assertions, which I agree with, that you can't have a white female director of the Black Panther. You, you wanted that to be a black male for a reason. Not, so how do you how do how do you how do you reconcile the two? Why why is it that you feel that way about the Black Panther? But when it comes to an actual see, this is what black folks I have a problem with black folks. We idealize something that's not ex, non-existent and fictional, but the real stuff, you know, that's uh, we ain't worried about that. <laughs> we all about Wakanda. Well, a well, fictional I, African country. Well, so all, I, I don't get I don't get how you reconcile that. I, I'll answer it Re- respectfully to you. You seem to have a habit of kind of mixing in analogies that really don't match. It's, it's a poor match because with the with the NAACP, you're talking about a long-standing, multi-chaptered organization that dates back over a hundred years, and it was it was already um, uh, financed. And conceived multiracially You already had white people Involved in the NAACP and her being white Of that, of that lone chapter Wouldn't have done anything you, have, you already have white people That are involved In, in black social justice Programs uh, That could have easily you know, She could have easily just been herself And done the same thing she, And she could have still been uh, Kind of like uh, an enculturated an enculturated, evolved, progressive white person who was down without putting putting on this charade. So th- th- that's different than the Black Panther, which could have easily been a one-off, where it was more of a, a, a need to tap into cultural black maleness. The first time, first time superhero movie versus a multi-chaptered uh, organization that's already been run by white people before. Wait, wait, wait! The Black Panther is based on a at least 60-year-old comic book that did have white people at its core, just like the 
Just like nah, the NAACP. No, but, what but, are you talking but about? no, 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 no. Come on, man. It, it's a bad, it's a bad matchup. Because How is it bad? Because, I'll explain it to you. Because because the way that the way that the storyline was set up thematically was that this was a black country run by black people that had never been conquered. That was that had never been uh, conquered by you know the whole colonizer thing was never conquered by white people. So, I mean, there's going to be some things. There's going to be some things that have to be interpreted from a black perspective. Look, I wanted. Hey, I was the guy that wanted an African to even be the someone of Nigerian or someone who has a, a, a direct African ancestry to 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 even do it. I, I was on that. I was on that even more so than than, than the gentleman, you know, than Ryan Coogler. So I, I was all about authenticity. I mean, you're dealing with a creative property that could have easily been a one-off that I wanted to be. That's like uh, the HBO thing on Bessie. I always bring this up. Bessie was, was, was directed by a gay black woman interpreting a, a bisexual or believed to be bisexual blues singer. I mean, everybody kind of understood that. You're talking about trying to interpret an, a, a work of art, a, a creative thing. This is not artistic. This is politics. And this is a multi-chaptered NWCP. It's not the entirety. And the NWCP, one can make the argument that many of these civil rights, civil rights organizations were already under, underwritten by white folks anyway. I don't see how it's that different, man. Everything, the way you describe the NWCP, I, was, I could describe, I could use those same, that, that same anecdotal uh, description for the Black Panther. It was conceived in the, uh, uh, 60 years ago. It was right, ahead of its core white white people delineating on a black a, a very black topic. It had poli- the movie had politics in it. The title itself has a political uh, connotation that you can't ignore. I, I, so I, I'm not I don't see why it's that different. I, I think that look, uh, no, look, no black look, panther. Look, look. Go ahead, go ahead, Serge. No, quickly. black panther. Oh, black panther was had become a cultural event, a black cultural event. Um, it, there was no way they were going to have a white director doing it. Uh, it was impossible um, it, it, because if they had hired a white director, the outcry would have been tremendous. That's you know, why there was an the outcry with Rachel Dolezal. That's exactly no, what I'm saying. No, no, it's no, a different look, thing. I don't know why you're you, trying to get – it's like apples yeah, and oranges. It's, it's, That's what Dean was trying to tell you. And, and also something else. Um, look, under normal circumstances, it would have been a white person directing that film. Okay? They, they, they didn't want Spike Lee to direct Malcolm X. So let, let's not pretend – I mean, this, this was really, uh, you know, just kind of like a, a, a sign of respect to let a black person do a black-themed thing. But uh, white black people are always more magnanimous when it comes to letting other people in. That's what we do, maybe to our own to our own detriment. But again, the history the history of the NAACP, I think starting from the Niagara Movement and W. E. B. Du Bois and all those people, it was already a multiracial situation funded by folks of Jewish descent. Many of these civil rights movements, if you go into their histories, were already underwritten by white people okay in this case this was a creative piece of art that was, was it was already the story specifically of a black country 
you know, that was never conquered, that was never uh, colonized. So, I mean, if you're going to keep the theme going, but hey, it, it could have easily, under normal circumstances, it would have easily been a white male. Just like Wonder Woman could have easily been a white male. They decided, you know, okay, let's, this time around, it, maybe it might make sense to let a black person tell his own story. But talking about a civil rights organization, again, that's multiracial and has multiple chapters that's been around for more than a century is different than, a, than the first time black superhero movie of this magazine. So you just, no, wait, wait, wait. So you keep talking about the first time superhero movie. I'm saying that is the zenith of something that has existed for 60 years that had a black theme that had white people uh, in this undercurrent. You keep talking about just the movie. I'm not talking about just the movie. I'm talking about something that led up to the movie that you're saying a white person couldn't have directed. But you're no. saying that this I, I, thing I, I, that exists... I, I, I'm okay. not going to dwell on this that much. We always get into these into these we always get into these vortexes. We're just not going to agree. I just think that I just think that your analogy doesn't really match up correctly. You know, it's it's a black themed African movie. Maybe you might want an African uh, an African or someone of African descent to to actually direct it every once in a while because the the norm the norm would have been for there to be a a white director. It wouldn't have been with it would not have been abnormal for a white director to direct yeah, all those black exploitation movies, many of them were directed by white people. Even, even I was when I was, I have a, a piece. If we have enough time to talk about it. I have a piece at Afrener.com that talks about my frustrations with uh, the black, this new black renaissance that it it hasn't necessarily translated into animation. And when I was kind of going through some of the um, scholarship, the research on, on Sergio knows this on black filmmaking. Many of the black films, even the Oscar Michaud films, going back into the silent film era, were mostly financed by white people. Well, yes, many of them were. And definitely they were released by small white-owned companies. Um, And they were financed. Actually, many of them were financed by black people, too, but financed by white people and and or white theater owners as well. But, you know, when Q Storm is talking, when he's talking about having a black director for for uh, Black Panther, he sounds to me like those white guys who are going around, why did it have to be a black guy to do that? I mean, you know, it should go to the person who's the most qualified. What are you, you know, talking I about? I, I, I'm not saying anything like that at all. I haven't said so what, anything what's the, so what's the like that. So I don't understand what's the objection about a black guy doing black pants. I'm not I making the objection. Sergio, have you been listening? I didn't say yeah, but I don't, I, I don't me. Say I what the issue is. You keep trying to say, gonna, why come a white director could have done it? Let, let, me hear, let, me, let me make clear what I'm saying. I'm saying, now you may disagree with me, that's fine. But I want you to understand what I'm saying. If you have a problem with a white person, uh, if you have a problem with a white person, a white female, directing a product that is the zenith of 60 years of a black character based in an Afrocentricity, I don't yeah. think, then why would you have a, why, you seem like you would have a problem with a white female being in charge of an organization that is 100 years old that also has a measure of Afrocentricity about it. Whether or not there were a black or white people that were in the foundation of it or not, just like with the Marvel Comics character, not just the Marvel Comics movie character, 
but the Marvel Comics character, it seems like you would have an issue with both. That's all I'm saying. No, no, we're not going to go through over and over. I, I told you before, Black Panther was a black cultural event. NAACP is an organization. You're talking about an okay? event. You're it's talking a, about a one-time a, event. I'm not. I'm not. Okay. It's an organization. You don't understand that. No, it's an organization that was co-founded by white people. Marcus Garvey started got, his organization. I got it. Because well, when he went to the NAACP, he said, I, I saw it. nothing but white people there. I got it. Yes, I got it. I'm saying you keep talking about just the movie. I'm talking about the whole, the whole breadth of the Marvel Comics character being created by white people as well, just like the NAACP. So I'm saying – Okay, I, I mean, I, I've, I've stated well, what well, I've well, had to say. Uh, 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 getting out of this vortex, getting out of the vortex. At the end of the at the at the end of the day, it it probably it probably could have been easily a white person helming that film cue, except that it, to to be to be bl- blunt about it, they threw us a bone. They threw women a bone. For, for but it could have been. I agree, it could have been. But what I'm saying is that you and I. Felt like it should have been a black male directing that film. Yeah, okay, and we got but, and we got pushed no, back on that too. Just like it should be a black male or a black female directing the NAACP. You oh, know, I know, I can, I can, I can name you, I can name you black films directed by white directors where you they missed the mark. Okay, it should have been done by a black director. For example, The Color Purple. Color Purple should have been done by a black director, not Steven Spielberg. He totally missed so many nuances and, 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 and stories in that movie, like Whoopi Goldberg sitting in the front of a railroad car drinking champagne in the South in the 1930s. You know, it was a guy who didn't understand the black experience. Okay, uh, I, I, I can name another. Okay, but then are, there are black films, say, which are coming out, which are being directed by black directors, and I said they're going to understand it. Like if Beale Street could talk, no one could direct that film other than um, um, uh, Barry Jenkins. No one. That's an amazing book by one of the greatest, most important men of the, 20, of, the, of the 20th century, and he will understand the nuances in that story and the messages that a white director will simplify or make it very obvious. There are some times where you need a – directors can direct anything. Okay, and black directors can't direct anything. But sometimes, if particularly when you're dealing with a black film, you need a black director, say a particular black film, who really understands the meaning and nuances of that story. And let's and let's be clear that for Schindler's List, the Spielberg movie, I don't think you're right. going to have someone of a different a different ethnicity being able to interpret a Jewish right. Holocaust story. You know, I, you know, the average person not living that experience is not going to be. Some things are going to have to be uh, close to the cuff when it comes down to cultural interpretation. The only person I think that I would allow, and I say this to be half joking, but not really, is Tarantino. <laughs> Tarantino kind of gets it on some level on some of this stuff. Well, he, no, you know, but look, he would have gone. He he, he would have gone for the heavy and the obvious. Steven Spielberg had a direction this list. Well, he not is gonna, Jewish. I'm not even. I'm not even talking yeah. about. Uh, I'm not talking about. 
I'm not talking about Tarantino for a Jewish film. I'm talking about Tarantino for like some kind of black stuff. Uh, some of the, uh, oh, some I see what you mean. Oh, but, what, uh, no, uh, no, but then once again, uh, it depends on the movie. It depends on the film. Well, look, what I'm saying is until we got into this, this, kind, of, this kind of current run of black films, the Boots Rileys and the Ryan Coogler's, before we started seeing those cats doing their thing, right, uh, I would have wanted, when I, after, after I, you, you and I were both, we, listen, we, let's be honest, after we saw Django, I was p- prepared to have uh, Tarantino do any black movie. <laughs> I felt a certain kind of way, cause, because I didn't, I didn't see this coming in the, on the horizon. Well, no, it, because it he, appear, okay, because, yeah, because he understood, it, it's a black exploitation movie. It's a exploitation film, and Tarantino, like me, we've seen them all, like a thousand times over. So, yeah, I mean, he would get it. Another white director would not have. I, I would dare say even some black directors who have yeah, never seen exploitation films would not have gotten it. I don't think you know? Spike Lee, and there's, there's been a rift between these no, two. No, Spike Lee would have gotten it. He said he's yeah, never seen exploitation movies. Right. Well, not just that. Well, I don't think Spike Lee would have done a great job on Django. I, no, he would I not. Think that, he would not have. There's, there were certain things in that movie, and I saw how black women. I keep on mentioning this because you know uh, the inner sanctum was was with us when we were looking at it. I did a cursory look at like black women in the theater, and they were in awe because they because uh, Tarantino knew how to push buttons. He knew how to give the you know he let the he let Jamie Foxx take the lead. You know it was he got away from the white savior complex. There were certain beats, you know, that the whole kind of fancy footwork he did with the horse, you know, it was it was a little bit of the dandyism, a little bit of the flash, the dynamic. He did some, he did some, he did some blackish. He did some blackish, and as a matter of fact, so many black, so many black directors have been brought to heel, and been and been kind of told what they can do and what they can't do, that they're afraid to do. You know, there's going to be less pushback. This might even answer the question with, with what you said. Uh, what was brought up earlier about if a white person were to have taken on this this kneeling thing versus Colin Kaepernick, because a white person they might have let they might, probably would have let him they, they would have made that they would have said that's cool, but they wouldn't let your black behind do it. They'll let they'll let a white person be be as black as they can be. It's, it, we're we're in a screwed up country. Uh, a, a black a, a black slavery movie that made half a billion dollars as rough as Django is, is an accomplishment. And if a black person had, had did that, I don't think it would have, you know, it has to be some, something fantastical like Black Panther versus Django. Well, no, the black, the black slavery movies you get are, you know, 12 Years a Slave or Birth of a Nation, you know. Um, you, you know, it's, you get the route, you know. Well, well, black, uh, black women people Black women's black women. I'm going to say this: not all black women, but a certain contingent of black women, black women, they torpedoed a birth of a nation, in my opinion. Yeah, but that's yeah, but but the thing about it is that is that a it wasn't that great. It really wasn't. But number two is that um um it it had one major big problem, aside from the director, it had one major big problem. The problem was that the slave rebellion was a failure. You know, we want to see Django at the end, you know, riding off in the sunset with his sweetheart, you know. 
that's what we want to see. We want to see black people being triumphant. We don't want to see black people being defeated. Yeah, well, there's there's fantasy. You know, I know that defeatist shit. Sorry, my French. Yeah. You know. And by the way, I want to talk briefly about uh, Terrence Nass, Nan, uh, Nance. You want right, to bring well, him that, up? Well, ironically, yeah, we were going to we're going to talk about. It. I was going to go to a musical birth, but let's 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 let us go into that. So let me let me um, set this up to listening audience. If yeah, we really went way off, you know. It's still a good reason. No, no, no. Anyway. Do the music thing first. So go ahead. You can do it. It's overtime for a music thing. All right. Well, look. Let, let's uh, – well, Serge, let me run my show. <laughs> okay, so forget it. I'll, I'll, let, <laughs> okay, so let, let, let's – I'm going to forsake the mu- music for a minute. Let's get into this thing. Um, Terrence Nance, who I've only seen maybe actually one, sh- one episode of this random acts of flyness, but I think it also kind of is under the umbrella – of this of this quirky black renaissance that we're, that we're in now. I mean, it came in right I, I, under I can the, give I, you some background about him later. I can give you some okay. background about him later. So it, it's coming in coming in under the heels of Sorry to Bother You. It kind of has a Sorry to Bother You kind of feel. Someone even threw out Kentucky Fried Movie going back in the in the mid, I think, late 70s, that movie came out. So there, there, it, it's interesting. I only saw one episode of it. So anyway, uh, this guy wants to start some ish. I'm not sure how I feel about this. So, again, Terrence Nance, young cat, I think in his late 20s, early 30s, something like that. He's got this gig. At a, it's HBO, isn't it? HBO's Random Acts of Flyness. Yeah, right. HBO, yeah. So, all of a sudden, your favorite website, and I said it to be facetious, The Root, or Very, what do you call them? Very something brothers? Of uh, 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 Very douche brothers. Okay, <laughs> all right. They, I saw this article. Oh no! About what did they say now? Well, no, I think I think they were they were big up they were big upping it. They they allowed us, you know, they they are the uh, black authenticators. They allowed the black community to kind of fawn over this website. So he he picks up this domain name, and the domain is white people won't save you. Dot org. White people won't save you. Dot org. And it's essentially a collage of movie clips with black and white or people of color and white interactions, you know, handshakes, all kinds of interactions of, you know, quote unquote, white saviors or whatever the interaction was. And there's a chorus. And again, it's on a never ending loop. It's like Yellow Submarine for black people. And it's a never ending loop of. You know, the message is these white folks aren't going to save you. <laughs> like the, these interactions don't really mean anything. It's, 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 it's an, it is to be interpreted, but I'm looking at this thing, and what I got out of it, because it is art, what I got out of it was, uh, okay, you t- you, you, you're t- I, see your, I see your mouth moving. <laughs> I see your mouth moving. I see you have your hand extended, but I don't believe you. That's what I got. That is what I got out of it. I see that. Let me bring in uh, the great Daryl B. Daryl B. He rears his head. Daryl. Howdy, guys. What's up? Hey. What's up, my brother? Yeah, I hate people. But we'll move on. Let's go. Let's do it. You know what? <laughs> We're going to get along very nicely. That's probably one of the few things we have in common and comic books. Anyway, and, and uh, Afropunk. So, um, you've... 
what are your thoughts about did you see this website, Daryl? White people won't save you dot org? Yeah. And what did you what are, what, what are your thoughts? Uh honestly, it's nothing we haven't told other people before. We've told other people you can't expect anybody to save you. So like do the Huey Freeman. Don't expect Obama to save you. Don't expect Bush to save you. Don't expect your neighbor to save you. Don't expect that cop to save you. You do for yourself. Simple as that. Now, some of their pictures and stuff on this are a little extreme to that fact, but it's not anything we haven't told people before. I mean, all all this is is like common sense type of thing. But, you know, there will continue to believe to be black people who, oh, I could trust them undubably to do the right thing. And then when they go and do something like <clears throat> Trump, when they go and do something like that in front of your face, and you go like, how could you? You know, and you go like, well, that's that's where guys like you and me are, are Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle in that SNL skit. Just sitting down there laughing like, oh, you expected something different to happen, right? Okay, no problem. No problem. That's good. Um, yeah, so, Sergio, what do you, what do you, you know, give us um, your impressions? It's, 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 it turns out the show. Um, I think this is the most radical, maybe one of the, one of the most important shows ever in television. There has never been a black show like this. Really, there's ever been, there have been a few, like, maybe cable access shows that try to do something similar, but in terms of shows dealing with black identity, and it also deals with black identity, it deals with sexuality, it deals with, uh, you know, uh, toxic masculinity, you can go on and on and on. Uh, but I've never seen a show like this. Never. It is it is really mind-blowing. I suggested it to Lena Doss, you know, and she tweeted, I mean, not tweeted, but she posted on Facebook today, mentioning me. She said, my God, I've, this is the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen, you know. Um, it's like nothing else. It's hard to explain. It is experimental. It's pure experimental, and it's in line with what Terrence Nance, Nance has done. He, he's been around for a while. Um, he made a film about five years ago called The Oprah Simplification of Her Beauty, um, which basically tells the relationship between him and another woman, but it's told in a very experimental, disjointed way. Actually, I didn't care for it that much, so it's kind of hard to get through. He's made some really great shorts, one called, you would really like this one, called uh, The Charge for the Sun, which is, take, is set in Los Angeles about the sun rays are so powerful that people come out at night and they have to hide, you know, during the daytime. And it focuses on a very young black girl. Um, it, it's a terrific story. Uh, then he did another one called Uninviting, I Invite Ellen. I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's set in Marseille. And it's, it's, uh, it's basically kind of a variation of Romeo and Juliet involving two young African immigrants. Uh, he's a really interesting um, talent. Uh, supposedly, well, it was reported, he signed on to do Space Jam 2. I see that. I see his IMD, IMD page. It says Space Jam 2. 
announced. Oh, you're looking at you're looking at his uh, IMD page. Yeah. 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 Um, I, well, he was announced. It isn't, I think with LeBron James. Um, that hasn't gone any further yet. I don't think they're shooting or anything. I haven't heard, you know, anything. And that may fall through. I mean, he's been busy doing an HBO show, among other things. But um, and, and Sergio, he was that Afropunk. He he was one of the guys they uh, enlisted to buy time for Erica Badu when the stage started to fall apart. So, so oh well, and, and, yeah, well. And, well, Afropunk, I, I I follow Afropunk, um, um, what do you call it, Instagram page, and they were promoting him a lot. So I'm sure he was around there all the time. And but, the show, um, the show, and uh, people people tried to ask me how to describe this show, and I was like, imagine in living color with a political and sociological bent, and you strain it through the lens of the Twilight Zone for black people. That's the it's show. more it's it's more to me like Dave Chappelle than in Living Color. Yeah. I don't know but, about that. Dave Chappelle no, yeah, is more, I, like Dave Chappelle. Really? Dave Chappelle huh. is really Dave Chappelle. Uh, look, I, I I'm a big Dave Chappelle supporter, but Dave Chappelle's show was still textbook comedy. This guy goes a little deeper into. He has moments of singing and it, it's it's. Oh, fact, I know. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I'd say I'd say that Richard Pryor's first show. Touched on some of this stuff where Richard Pryor wasn't always like he did, he had moments where it wasn't always funny. No, he, uh-huh. he, it was so where it was, it was dead so, serious. Yeah, it was very. It was a lot of social commentary involved. Like with 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 uh, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle still did kind of a textbook, although talented, and he had some social yeah. commentary. But it, it was always on the funny. This, this guy, yeah. Terrence Nance, and even like I said, even with the first and only season of the Richard Pryor show. Which again, we forget. Mm-hmm. I think it was on. I think NBC carried it. It was, uh, you know, he, he, he was like it was a lot of stuff going on. It wasn't just always yeah. on the funny beat. Yeah, but you know, but still, you know, right? You know, we can, you know, debate that on another time. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I was really happy for this because it was so. It's to me revolutionary and different, and once again it shows that we got to move away from the old okie doke, you know. Get, move away from, you know. I what's the connection I'm trying to make? Well, you know, like Tyler Perry still producing his shows. That's what I mean by the old okie doke. When you're getting shows like Atlanta, and you're getting shows like Random Acts of Flyness, and there are other uh, other shows in the works other black shows in the work that sound really innovative. The Okie Doke's got to go. Well, you know something, well, though? The only thing I, I, I got to say, though, this, is, this brings up Spike Lee for me, especially being, a, again, a Spike Lee supporter going back. So, oh, okay, hold on. I'm getting some background music. Background. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'll bring you right back. So what I'm thinking uh, that I liked about Spike Lee is – when I see this white, white people won't save you dot org, okay. Look, yeah. It, white people Nancy, won't save you. Right. <laughs> I, I'm assuming this is this is Nance trolling, like he's just trolling. Okay, so yeah. he's trolling. Uh, he's, he's trolling, but I don't I don't want this new spate of black films to be so race oriented. Like it, 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 sometimes it's a little too easy 
it's a little too easy to be about white folks are the problem. So that's the only thing that I, I felt a certain kind of way about white people won't save you. Because, look, well, I, be- I, be- I believe in the mantra. You know me. I've been this is Afro nerds. We're Afro nerds. That's Afro nerds' own personal uh, belief system, right? So I get it. But one thing I, I did appreciate Spike Lee, and Spike Lee is a race man also, but mm-hmm. he will he will do introspective stuff that makes black people feel uncomfortable. He will skewer black people. When it came down to Jungle Fever, you saw you saw you saw on both sides the issue of the race equation. When you saw uh, a school days having been again uh, an alumni alumnus of 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 a HBCU, he went into the skin tone thing. He went into the into the uh, the class distinctions. We saw the very famous confrontation between Larry Fishburne and Sam Jackson at at the Wendy's, I believe, whatever the restaurant was. Uh-huh. I mean, so he he wasn't just about. The white man is the problem all the time. He was getting into black. So I, I don't want these, these, these things to kind of go into this, this like white people are the problem. And that's, well, that's the, no. the beginning. That's the beginning well, and the end. That's the beginning and the end of, of your uh, of, of your themes. That's my yeah, problem. Well, a couple of things. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, School Days is coming out for the first time in Blu-ray in October. Oh, with a bunch of extras. A lot of his films are not available on Blu-ray, believe it or not. Malcolm X is, uh, Inside Man is, of course, uh, Do the Right Thing, but still a lot of films are not. Okay, number two, um, Niz has a lane. That's his niche, okay? It's not like all black filmmakers are going to be like Nance or going to be like Boots Riley. You know, that's fine, and that's the great thing. Everybody, I think we see these new development of black, of black filmmakers who are doing their own things, you know. The, you know, Boots Riley is not going to be, well, <laughs> he's definitely not going to be Spike, considering the, considering the criticism he's been giving black Klansmen, you know. And uh, Ryan Coogler will never be Terrence Nass, you know. Everybody has their thing. Everybody has their lane, you know. So and that's the great thing because for a while it seemed like all black filmmakers all wanted to be alike. That's not true anymore. And for the good news, let me just add one last thing. Um, uh, black Klansman is doing extremely well at the box office. Uh, it's clearly going to be Spike Lee's second biggest grossing film in his career. And um, and uh, as the way it keeps going, it'll be one of the biggest grossing films that Focus Features has had domestically. <clears throat> well, I, I got that sense. It's a damn good film, and I'm just thinking yeah. of all all of, all of the uh, black directors that we, that are, are that are of note right now. Uh, I'm thinking that hopefully we will see that each of them, like you said, have their own independent thing going on. I, I just don't want everything to be right. be about race, or even if it is about race come from a different perspective I just, I just don't want this whole I mean I thought like again I thought that white people won't save you you know it was cute but I, I think it's kind of you're just trolling people you know I, I don't know yeah and it's, it's not you're, you're not supposed to watch the whole damn thing because it goes on forever it's like a loop yeah I didn't right? I, I, I didn't have that much stamina no I couldn't you know, do that and, I, got, right. I got and, it and, okay, I got it yeah I, that's what I said I got the point after 10 minutes okay I got it um, that's fine. That's his thing. That's his niche. 
and that's where he likes to be. Let him stay there. Not everything's going to work. Let's go to the, let's go to the captain. Captain, he's been quiet. Captain, what what are your impressions of uh, this Terrence Nance website? Like it just came out of the blue. I mean, to me, it's it's attention seeking. You know, I mean, I kind of dig it, but at the same time, I mean, you know, maybe you have a different opinion. I, I don't, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't need the message personally. Cap. Well, well, I thought. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you yes. hear me? Okay. I thought more or less, as Bison would say, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. <laughs> you have to build a. Help yourself. You have to save yourself. No one's coming to save you. There's no magical hand coming down. Christians, there's no magical hand coming down to come save you. You have to handle your own business. That's the bottom line when it comes down to it. So I thought, I thought it was cool. I thought it was just in line with pretty much what he does based on, you know, the show he has going on. That's just him. That's his length. You know? Oh, I'm sorry. I'd be, I'd be glad. I'd be glad to see him do more of that type of thing. That's all. I didn't. I didn't really go too in depth or any type of deep analysis with it or anything like that. You know, but you do have to save yourself. That's what everyone. No, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah, it's it, this is the same thing. It, he didn't say anything new to me either. But here's the thing. For a lot of for a lot of people, it is. Yeah, of course. This message is obvious to you. It's obvious to us. But for a lot, for I'm sure for some people who see it, it is a new message. That's their perspective, and they're entitled to it. I'm not them. (laughs) So it goes back to you got to save yourself. I'm not here to save anybody. I can't save you. Yeah. I I mean, if it helps one person, but they got to walk. I mean, if it if it makes one person open their eyes, then maybe, you know, it's, it was worth it. I like to see him do a follow up called Cooning is not going to save you. Well, see, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's that's what I wanted to hear. I I don't need I don't need this. I mean, to, to me, it's, this is this is something that's just automatic. This is a robot mode. We we the, the irony is is that Reverend Jasper Williams at the Aretha Franklin funeral said the same damn thing. And the family, yeah. Aretha Franklin's family came out. I suspect they came out after all of the hullabaloo by the millennials and black Twitter, because now they're coming really with a lot of, a lot of um, passion that they, they didn't appreciate Reverend Williams um, eulogy. You know, okay, I, I hear you, but I, I, to me, I feel they came out after the fact once the smoke cleared. I think if no one really said anything, they would not have said anything. So I think they were somewhat reactionary. But the, re- the reality is, is that uh, many black conservatives, black traditionalists have said the same thing, and then, then they're not going to look at this as kind of a cute thing. So I, I wonder, if, the, I wonder if, he's really, if he's really real with the message, white people won't save you. Because if that's the case, then we've got to get on code then, then we've got to be about respectability politics. White people won't save you equals respectability politics that black folks say they don't like. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I got to say, I got to say this one thing. You know, I've I've said this on on a number of occasions. You know, I listened to Karen Hunter begrudgingly, Karen Hunter on Sirius XM, right? She she, she you know look I 
I think what she does is important, so I'm not going to critique her that way. But she, I remember she a few days ago she said a, she had this whole thing, this whole rant about black people need to start speaking a certain way, they need to present themselves better. She went into like a list of things that she thinks black people as a collective should be doing. So when I heard uh-huh. her say that, I said, well, that sounds like respectability politics again. So anytime these black folks, the same black people that will tell you they don't like respectability politics, in the same breath they will talk about getting on code and we need to do X, Y, and Z, which, which sounds like respectability politics. So what, what, what I think is you've got to come up with a different term and do what you, do what you need, to be do, need, to, need to be done. There's no way to escape the need to get on code and to do certain things. There's some things we got to do. we got to straighten out some things. The straightening out is respectability politics. So I'm confused. White people ain't going to say. So wait a minute. So just, what, just explain so to me. This Karen Hunter. So she this she has a show on Sirius. Uh, what kind of show is it? I mean, what of her? Is she, she just says the same old okie doke you hear other black so-called leaders say, or what? The, what's the deal with her? Well, I mean, look, she's on the same. You you have Sirius. I mean, she's on the same Urban Channel, Urban View yeah. that Joe Madison that Joe Madison is on, and she has kind of her own. Karen Hunter verse, where she was able to bring in other people with her her similar, ver- you know, Clay Clay Kane is a black gay young dude. He's got his yeah, own perspective. Yeah. Okay, so there's a, look, there's a few people she's brought on, right? I know when I call in, I get like a I get like a grunt. So, and and I'll say what I say. I played it one time. I say what I say, and huh. then she tries to clown me. But when she allows me to finish, she says, oh, yeah, you know, well, you were kind of right. You see what I mean? I don't play that stuff. I get that all the time. When I'm allowed well, to finish. Saying, you, need, you need to be on serious. How long have we been saying that? Well, yeah, but hey, you know, if I was on serious, it would be a problem because I'm not going to tell well, the party yeah, line. I, I, don't, I don't speak the way that black folks like to be spoken. I'm going to no. play Halle Berry. I'm going to play Halle Berry clips. And I'm going to tell. I'm, I'm going to say some stuff. I don't. I'm not into. I'm not interested in making black people feel better. You know, it, it, you got to do some stuff. I'm going to. Why, I'm going to be white people won't save you. So, I mean, what What does he really mean by white people don't won't save you? White people won't save you means you have to do what Jasper Williams said. Jasper Williams said, "Bring the black man back in your house." Maybe you black women aren't raising your. Maybe you black women aren't raising your your your, your black son the best way. You're doing the best you can, but it's not good enough. Too many black men in prison. They will tell you in prison, my daddy wasn't around. But we got we have to ignore that. You know, uh, the pants sagging isn't working out really. But they're gonna tell me I can I can I can have my pants sagging. I don't have to do that. I mean, you know, so it is what it is. You gotta do. You gotta have black business. I don't know how having internal economics. Black economics. I don't. I don't know why that is controversial. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. Hell, me and Daryl should have had should have had a black books black comic book store right now. We should. But you know, black women will talk this way and have this. I, I just found out there's another black female comic book store, Daryl, on the West Coast. Do you know about this? Uh, I know of a couple actually. So, so why? Uh, so why was have you, why was uh, why why was uh, uh, the sister in Philly? Why was that so uh, special? Then, if there were other black female comic book store owners, 
because we didn't have one on the East Coast. Simple. Wow. There was none on the East Coast. And when, when she got it, she, she, when she got it, she's connected with the Tribbles and, and Geek Soul Brother and stuff, so they blasted it to the moon with, the, with their connections, and boom, it, 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 it took off. So, you know what? I don't hate that hustle. But, but again, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It, and it goes back to what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, black business. Okay, here's the black business, all right? We're now finding out about this comic shop on the West Coast, all right? Uh, could you guys highlight it a little bit? You know, you guys on the West Coast, man, uh, how you like shopping there? What, what you guys doing? How they? One thing Ariel does is whenever they have an event and stuff like that, they blow it up. They make it f- friendly to not just black people, but everybody. And everybody in, in a five, six state radius hears about it. You know? We can't help you if you can't help yourself. It goes both ways. We want, we want to support, but you got to put in the work too. Simple as that. You know what's so funny is that I'm looking, I'm looking uh, uh, on Google, and for some reason now I see it more emphasized about her being the the first East Coast. But I mean, in the beginning, it made it seem it's, it made it seem like she was like the first black female. See, no. I'm looking at it. See, see now I'm looking at. See, it was this was kind of a mixed bag thing here. This this was kind of a disservice to to uh, to to her and to the other owners. Because I'm looking at a mixed bag here. I'm seeing a number of articles that say first black female comic book owner. And then I'm seeing other ones that emphasize East Coast. Again, I know know a couple of black-owned ones in the South. I know know one in Denver that I – when I was in the military, I visited. I know there used to be one – in Minnesota, of all places, that Prince used to frequent, all right, that was, well, not black. I want to say Latino, but I never got a chance to ask the owner there about that. But it, it, at that shop, there's a picture of Prince uh, with, with, with a couple of the patrons, like right there, comic books. So, bit. You know, that's why, if you remember back to the Black Infinity Gauntlet podcast thing, I, I emphasized that on the car ride down. I went, this is the first female black-owned comic shop on the East Coast. I was saying it back then. You know, other, other places were saying ever. And I'm like, no, no, East Coast, because I know there's a couple. Well, I'm trying. I'm even trying to find because I, I happen to glance at the, the 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 other one on the West Coast, and uh, it was basically she wrote an article, an interesting an interesting article that someone sent me on Twitter. So I found out that the, that the author of the article was a black female comic book owner in California, but now that I'm I'm doing a Google search, uh, Ariel Johnson is hogging up all the space. And I love what she I love what she is and what she does, but damn, I mean, they they kind of making her be the face when they. I mean, I, I you know, look, I can't I can't even Google anyone. I can't even I can't even Google anyone else, up, outside of Ariel. And I know that there's other black female 
store comic book owners. But store that's owners. where. But that's where I said Ariel had the connections. Maybe not going out and say, "Write this story about me. Write this story about me. Write this story about me." But how many different podcasts that we know were was at that summit? How many of us all wrote articles about that shop? You know, and it wasn't just those in the Philly, Pennsylvania area, but we had podcasters from eight different states come over to there. So you you you're dealing with a whole bunch of information about that one shop. The problem this West Coast person has is it's just her. She hasn't made the inroads with those podcasts out there. She hasn't had them like hype her stuff up. She hasn't held events or had events at her shop that have quote unquote crossed over. We've seen Ariel get TV coverage, radio coverage, of course us on Twitter. We've seen all of that. We have not seen this other shop do that and make those inroads. And in this day and age of social media, you need that. You need to get the word out more than traditional means. I can't even find it. I, I, you know, hopefully I'll be. I'll put it on our blog, but I can't even. I can't even find the article or this woman. And I actually saw a picture of her store. I can't even find it now. Ariel Johnson comes up solely. And I, I know what you said. I agree, but I mean, man. All right, look, we got about 24 minutes remaining, so we, I want to run through a couple of things, and I want to take advantage of your time, Daryl, while I have you here. Um, all right, so, you know, I wrote a piece, and I think I, I put it in the chat room. I think Sergio can also contribute to this as well. So you know, all of us are so uh, enthused about the current spate of black films. I mean, there's a number of black-themed films, you know, whether it, be, whether it started with Get Out, whether it's Black Panther, um, sorry to bother you. Whatever's going on, there's attack a number the of films. That, uh, well, yeah, well, that attack the block, yeah, but that's going back some years. I don't know if I, attack I, the. I start. I start my kickoff with attack the block because that's what when we first got the foot in the door. The problem was a lot of guys went, oh, it's just a sci-fi thing. Ah, uh, it ain't gonna last. And then Ryan Kruger blew it open with his couple of indie features. And then everything started rolling. No, but that, that film got no support from the studio, the American distributor. It got no support at all. They, they only released it in a few hundred theaters. They never went behind with the marketing of it. I saw a play, when I saw it in the theater at a screening, it played like gangbusters. But the studio didn't. Yeah, I'm not so Hello? sure about that. I'm. I remember Attack the Block. I remember having attended uh, New York Comic Con. I think my first New York Comic Con or second one. And I always told the story. There's a young Latina that approached me. And she said, listen, I'm looking for a man of color, a person of color. And she's the one that was like so enthused about what we, know, what we now know to be a movement. Uh, so mm-hmm. I will confess to that. Uh, she smacked me around a little bit and said, hey, you know, I was so much into the spectacle of New York Comic Con that – She's the one that politicized it for me. She's the one to put a black, attack the block poster in my hand. I don't think I saw it yet. She said, "Haven't you seen it? How come you haven't seen it? What's wrong with you?" I mean, she was kind of joking yeah. with me, but she was she was very serious. So, but I don't know if attack the block. I mean, this is for Daryl's purposes. He feels that way. I don't feel that way because I don't. I don't think it led to a sustainable movement. Like I would have wished. I remember 
after having seen it. Well, why? Well, who wouldn't have thought having a black having a alien an alien invasion start in the in in in, in the uh, in the urban area after like thirty years of these kind of movies or forty years of these kind of movies? The aliens, their GPS always sends them to nice white neighborhoods. The GPS for the aliens never goes to Brownsville. <laughs> Okay, well, or even or even, re- or even or even Prince George's County. It never goes anywhere black. It's always white and middle class. So the fact well, that the- it went against it went against type, I thought that hell, this was a no brainer. Like this is thinking outside the box, and it didn't it didn't carry over the way that I thought it should have for for sustainable in succession movies. I mean, Attack the Block was well, like I said, was it? it's like ten no, years nobody ago. saw it. Nobody saw it. If the film had been, if they had put it in thousands of theaters, and the film had been a box office hit, and it did, and it, let's see what would have happened after that. But just well, nobody saw it. Well, it was, let me, seven, let me it was seven years ago. Yeah, let me explain my reasoning on it though. So why I explain, why I think it to start with there is who was the star of Attack the Block? John Boyega. You're seeing where his veins are going. And and right after Attack the Block, that's when Coogler finally got his couple of chances to put his indie movies more in the mainstream. So uh, that's why I go Attack the Block. Even though it wasn't a blockbuster, it was the one that we came on air and we said, yo, this blew us away. This, this, I mean, this is, this is new. This is something. And that that is where I think the kickoff happened. People will say the uh, Avers, Avers stuff, Black Panther, the, uh, Get Out. You'll say all of that, but I'll say it started with Attack the Block because until Attack the Block happened, we didn't think black people would get that chance. All right, but you know the black Brits thought they would get that chance. No, but right, the so, other so, thing too. Okay, but what are you going to talk about? Sorry. Okay, so so I really mentioned it to lead into a point. So because of this black renaissance, um, I just started realizing that I didn't really see black cartoons in this mix. So Mm -hmm. we we see that there's a Black Panther cartoon, and I think they're aiming aiming in that direction because they probably perceive it as being able to sell toys. Anytime there's a Daryl, and we we found this, we we learned this intimately. With our uh, a legendary interview with Dwayne McDuffie, the late Dwayne McDuffie, he's the one that I mean, maybe Daryl knew that already. I didn't know but when he had said, "Hey, you know, um, Static Shock was on for like four or five years, hi- highly rated, very well received. The ratings weren't a problem; they just couldn't push toys, and that's the theme when it comes down to to the cartoons for the most part, being able to push toys. So, well, um, so so anyway." We see that they're, they're, they're going back into the Black Panther, you know, the Black Panther right now. They're even talking about uh, the majority of Avengers 4 is probably going to take place in Wakanda. They, ca- they can't get around it. They're going to have to have Wakanda spinoffs. They're going to they're gonna have to figure, figure this thing out. So anyway, uh, I started realizing that the great boondocks, you know, the last season, Aaron Magruder wasn't involved in it, and you could tell that it, it, just, it just didn't have the same – feeling anymore. It wasn't quite as funny. It wasn't as biting. The social commentary sucked. Um, you know, there's, there's of course, uh, Bill Cosby's Fat Albert, the, the Proud Family. 
we see that the the Spider-Man, the Spider-Verse thing, if you could, if you could consider that a black black animation, maybe so. It, it, it is a black brown family. That's interesting. But for the most part, with the Renaissance, the Creek. yeah, I'm aware of, of Craig of the Creek. Craig of the Creek. But even right. then, what, even with then, Adventure Time leaving, that, that's going to be their new new flagship. Because remember, Steven Universe is ending, and Adventure Time is ending, and they're they're pushing Craig of the Creek. So, but when my was critique, the last time cartoon? Okay, go ahead. But my critique is when you see Netflix, you have a lot of different mediums now. You could be anywhere, but I'm noticing that Netflix is greenlighting a lot of garbage. It seems to be very easy to get an animation deal at Netflix. And yet, with black folks, we're not allowed to have like a truly encompassing black theme animation thing, where the, where the world view is primarily a black one. We, we can argue about whether something is black or not. But let, 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 let's 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 be as let's be as consistent as we can, and let's say, let's, why can't we see something that's really a black theme animation project that people can get behind? Um, Boondocks was was, was it was basically a black theme situation. Like, when's the next time we're going to see that? When we see, like, Rick and Morty, for instance, where is the black version of Rick and Morty? Can we, can we get into that space? Like, when, with this it? new thing, when we see, like, uh, Disenchantment or Paradise PD, I, I mean, what, what's going on here? Go ahead, Daryl. All right, but who's funding it? Who's funding it? Anytime, if you're expecting that from Cartoon Network, no, they want to give you Freaknik. Who, who's funding it? You, you're asking where is it coming from? Who is funding it? Who is backing it? Uh, it's great to have these dreams. That's beautiful to have these dreams. We've said the the company that should be behind it is BET or 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 their related companies doing it, and they're not interested. All right. What, we need to get the black nerdists up and running. That's beautiful. No one's supporting us yet. So, so what this this pining, this opining you got, is wasted energy. All right. I'm hoping to God, Lashawn Thomas steps on through. I'm hoping to God that Teflon Funk steps on through because until that happens, you're still dreaming, my brother. It ain't happening. It's great to have dreams. It's great to be beautiful, but anytime the white, the white uh, animation process wants us a part of it, we end up with freaking freak mix. Yeah, well, you see, it comes down to um, we just have to do it the way we've been doing it the last few years. You got to put it on the internet. People got to start putting this stuff on the internet. You know, you can't be waiting around. First of all, Netflix. I just read an article about a week ago. Netflix, are pre- people are predicting it's going to be down, in the, down for the count in three years. They're spending a ton of money, and they're not making any money. They haven't been making any money at all, but they're spending money like crazy. They cannot survive. Eventually, people are saying within the next three years, it's going to collapse. Okay, now Netflix is gone. So then what are you going to do now? So um, you're going to have to do in the Internet, and then hopefully you build an audience, and then that's how you track sponsors and financers. But you ain't around for comic, uh, Cartoon Central 
or Netflix or Showtime or I don't even mention BET or TV One. That's that's do not do not even thinking about that. You know, just think about the old okie doke. That's that's the answer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring um, Daryl back in. He I, I had some uh, background music. Oh, maybe he popped off. I don't know what happened there. I had to. I was getting some oh. background. Maybe he had. Maybe he had. A, maybe he had to pop off. But anyway, uh, I guess my thinking with the animation thing. What I was trying to tell him. I mean, he was saying that I'm just opining. I, I don't really agree that I'm just opining. I'm, I'm asking the question because uh, you you can't. It's difficult to. It's difficult to say that you can't have a black animation imprint when we're seeing everything else. Like, we're, like we're, you know, it's still film. If, if we're seeing all these, all these diverse films that are being made, I mean, hell, we're getting a, a Madam C.J. Walker story. So if we can get a Madam C.J. Walker story, it just stops that animation? I mean, I, I, I'm kind of confused. I mean, Boondocks... Well, I'm sure, I, look, I'm sure there are many black animators out there who are working tirelessly. You know, animation always seems to be the underground. You know, with the exception of, um, you know, Disney off. or DreamWorks, you know, people don't think animation exists. And there are a lot of animators out there, many of them are black, who are doing things or planning has stuff in development. You know, it's all underground stuff. You know, we may not know of them because they're not report about it in, in, um, in Variety or Hollywood Reporter yet. And forget the black media. Black media, it doesn't even exist, you know. So I cannot say what's out there, what's being developed, what's being done at this very moment. There has to be. No, well, first so of all, so the idea that everything stops with animation—I don't buy that at all. Well, well, first of all, on our show, we highlight these folks that have—we've highlighted quite a few animators on the show that have, you know, varying degrees of success, or they are uh, creating these properties, creating these projects. Whether it's Indiegogo, whether it's Kickstarter, there's a lot of crowdsourcing going on. With and yet, there's, there's a few animation projects, you know, early, uh, you know, a few minutes of footage that you might see on YouTube. So I'm, I'm not questioning that there, are, that there aren't black animators. That's not my issue. I mean, Daryl mm-hmm. just rattled off, rattled off a few. Um, the Teflon Funk he mentioned, which kind of has a similar look to Boondock, kind of a, a black anime thing. Um, we, we, we know Afro Samurai was out for like half a minute that actually had Samuel Jackson vo- voicing the character. Um, you know, uh, we had we've had Paul Louise Julie on the show that has this whole Afrofuturism thing that he's pro- that he's producing called Johansi. So th- I mean, I can rattle off the animators. Uh, hell, um, the gentleman from uh, uh, Roy Roye Okupe. You have quite a few African animators. Roye Roye Okupe, who I believe went to Washington, studied um, has a, 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 a graduate degree an animation from Washington University who runs a company that's been written up quite a few times in CNN uh, called Unique Studios. So, I mean, I can rattle off the black animators. That's not my problem. My problem is, is that why is the, the black cinemation renaissance of the last couple of years just stalling out? I don't want to say stalling out, but kind of stopping right before well, we get to animation. Well, first of all, I don't film. know if it's stopping. 
first of all, I don't know what's stopping. Number two, you know that animation is time is time consuming. You know, it, it takes a long time to do an animated feature, unlike doing a live action uh, feature. But, it takes a long time. But, but, so look, I mean, it takes sometimes white, it takes but, years. Yeah, but you got white folks doing this. I'm, what I'm, but what that's I'm telling you, they got huge money behind them. No, but they got no, but huge yeah, money behind not, them. That's not the point. The point is, you just said there's a lot of independent animation yeah. going on. There's a, there are quite a few black animation mm-hmm. uh, properties that are in production. My question is, if you're able to give um, someone like Boots Riley a shot, right? I'm just saying it seems like because maybe because it's a, it's a nerdy thing. I don't know, but I see plenty of white folks getting green-lighted for animation stuff that's not really that good. And I see black, I see black properties on the independent level that's actually quite good and interesting, but no one seems to want to pull the trigger. You know, matter of fact, I mentioned this um, uh, quite a few times that on Twitter you had hashtag Black Hogwarts trending. So it's trending so much that uh, uh, J.K. Rowling had even acknowledged it. And right away, when you saw black hashtag, uh, hashtag Black Hogwarts, uh, the Lucas brothers, the Lucas twins, the comedic act, who they, had a, they actually had an a, um, a, uh, animation uh, series out briefly. They said, hey, guess what? We have, we have an idea for a magical HBCU, like Harry Potter, except that it's an HBCU. Now, when I first heard uh-huh. that, I was like, what the, well, damn, that's a no-brainer. I'd love to see something like that. But uh-huh. the, the, white, the white folks shut it down. They said, we don't get that. Well, look, you that's know, my point. the business. No, no, the business is that it's always rejection. It's always it's always turn it down. It's always like we don't see the future. You know, it's like it takes one, finally one who cracks through, and then all of a sudden everybody wants to get on the bandwagon. You know that's how it works, right? Um, you know, I can't explain what happened with the Lucas brothers. You know, but that's always is the case. Nobody wants to take the shot. Everybody is a risk. Okay, fine. We got all these different black films now. Now black animation is the next level. Okay, people think it's a risk. Black, you, you've heard. I'm sure you can hear think the stories already. People are not, black people are not to animation. Just like they were saying that black people weren't into science fiction. You know, just like that guy who told you, uh, Louis Esposito, uh, there's no market for a Black Panther film, and that was five years ago. Things change. The market is, diver- is, is diversifying. And for the Lucas Brothers, they got kind of a rep. They're still not that well-known. Can't they try to get that thing off the ground by themselves instead of going to some network or trying to do it? Well, look, unfortunately, Negroes don't have money, Sergio, <laughs> even the wealthy ones. You know, in other words, we see that we see that LeBron James, and we were supposed to talk about it, but I don't think it's going to be enough enough time. And I didn't really see all of it. This uh, the shop, the shop that um, uh, Jason, uh, what's his name, uh, the the the, uh, the sports commentator, Jason Whitlock, Jason Whitlock. Oh, oh yeah, com- okay. Jason Jason Whitlock commented on it, and of course, your favorite website comments commented on him commenting on LeBron. 
And I thought that, even, you know, look, I agree with a lot of what Jason Whitlock actually says. Not everything. I think he's very, you know, I think he's a little too ingratiating to, uh, you know, white, white conservatism. You know, there's black I've seen him. I know who he is. It's, it's coonery. He's coon, he coons too much. There's white conservatism and there's black conservatism, right? Or yeah. just conservatism. But I think he's a, he's a little too, you know, we can clearly see, like, again, I see you. I see what you're doing. But some of what he says is valid. I thought that his familiarity with the black barbershop and how that gets down versus what we saw with John Stewart sitting there. I'm like, you know, it wasn't like Eminem sitting there. I was like, uh, I don't really. This this, doesn't, this this rings a little inauthentic to me. So well, I'm gonna, see, I'm I was go- interested in the show until I read John Stewart was in it, and I said, well, I don't need to see this. Why, why does he have to be in there? That's the only way they can get the damn show made is to have a white guy there. Probably. Uh, Probably. I mean, look, you had to have you know a sprinkling of white people in Black Panther. You know, luckily, yeah, but you know, look, they, 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 but, but they, they were incredible to the plot, particularly Martin Freeman. Okay, and also because Martin Freeman many times was made to look like the fool. Okay, fine. Okay, we get that. Finally, I'm the not, white I'm, man's the fool. Well, look, I'm not even disputing okay. that. I mean, look, I, I've read the comic books, comic books, so those characters are part of the mythology. Believe it or not, like you said, they were integral. But trust me, right? You know that that, that factored into. It not you know there had to be some white people in there and I think that you know listen it's valid that they were there and you know, I, I didn't I, went, I had no problems with them being there because I, I read the comic book they were fine right but it just well, you know but, but it had John Stewart in the show like he's some kind of but it was serendipitous that you know hey that they they were there it was you know look it worked out my point yeah. is my point is is that uh, you have black people in animation doing some things. And I still think that even though we're in this renaissance, there's still this reticence about including black folks in some stuff that we clearly see. You know, some of these, these major hits weren't supposed to work either. Under, under normal circumstances on paper, sorry to bother you, probably should not have worked. Or even black clansmen. Right. So pe- people, no, they, 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 hold on, the excuses are wearing thin that, they can't, that we can't explore even black folks in animation. That's my okay, point. so when, when is this? And I thought it was supposed to come at the end of the year. When is this? Uh, Miles Morales, Morales Spider-Man is scheduled December. to come out. A few months. December. December. Okay. Now watch. If the film is a hit, all of a sudden, Hollywood, or not even just Hollywood, but production companies and financiers will discover, hey, black people or people in color. In an animation film, people would come out to see it. Who knew? Let's, let's go you to the watch. captain. Cap, the captain's been quiet. Captain, what are your impressions? We've got about three minutes, two minutes remaining. And we're, gonna, we're, going, we're going to have to close shop. What are your thoughts about, you know, my, my, my issue is we're in a black renaissance, a black film renaissance, animation's film, let's power forward. It seems like we're, we're still getting kind of the okey-doke, stopping at animation. That's my point. Well, I think Sergio made a valid point when he said people thought Black Panther was going to fail and then the other films and everything else. You have to go, because you got to remember something. To get the big distribution and to get a lot of observers on it, you have to go through the powers that be. So you have to run through the trend. You have to 
do a few of these other things first, and then finally someone gets the shot. I think he said something rather interesting if this Miles Morales comes up, and let's just say he just blows everything out the box. Then they may turn around and say, not to the numbers that you would like, because it doesn't work that way, but there's a few more people that are going, hey, well, you know, here we go. Let's do this. Then also the other side of that, too, if that does happen, they start greenlighting some garbage, too. Well, that's true, too. Know. That is true. They don't know. They're stupid. They don't know. They can't just say, no, oh, this is you, hot. Let's put this out. So you have you see, but, that's just what I think. You see, but then look look what right. happened. You know, they came out this summer with Superfly. They're thinking everybody's going to go yes. see it because they're black. It tanked, right? Because, exactly. you know, they didn't get the message. People don't want to see that crap anymore. That is that kind of stuff is over. It is over, right? Um, oh gosh, I was about to say something else. I forgot what it was when you brought up the the, uh, the Spider Man thing. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot now. I'm sorry. Well, we, we, I'm we're sorry. going to have to we're going to have to cut it anyway. We have got about 48 seconds remaining. Okay. Surge is always we appreciate it. Uh, Sunday, 6 p.m. We'll get it in again, folks. Definitely. Please, 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 you, you see us on video. We've got more videos forthcoming. Patreon.com forward slash AfroNerd Radio. There's our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That is growing. AfroNerd.com is back in business. There's new articles up there. We are getting it in at AfroNerd Radio on Twitter. We're all over the place. It's going down. This is Van Hunt, Nick Acosta, Mean Sleep. Sunday, 6 p.m. What can we scrape together from our love-worn emotions? Handfuls of hate and a bit of sweet devotion. Cause I am pushing cobwebs and I'm floating into myself. Who will find
take a long I am loaded by the memory Had to shut down half my mind Just to feel the space you left behind Cause I am 